get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You know, there's no firm t- timetable, but but Ali Marmol did say, you know, we, we all know what a growing strain means. Uh, he mentioned several weeks a couple of times, you know. That, so you're, you're looking at probably close to a month uh, with, with him being out. And, you know, when that's the case, then he probably needs to go do a rehab start. Uh, you know, he, he his arms built up. He's ready to go for the season. But, you know, if you if you take a month off to, to get your legs right, it's probably going to need a, a, a rehab start to get his arms right again. That was John Denton, Cardinals beat writer for Cardinals.com, on with the balloon party moments ago talking about the news of the day. Adam Wainwright will begin this season on on the injured list. He will be out, quote, several weeks to start out the season. Derek Gould reporting just a little bit ago on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch website that his season could be delayed by, quote, as much as a month, end quote, and that he will likely need a rehab assignment to build back up alongside Alex Rario and Tanner Hendrickson on Brandon Kylie, Guys, Wayno injured his groin while working out in the weight room at the WBC a few hours before the championship game. He was hopeful that this wouldn't be anything serious. He is scheduled to speak with the media down in Jupiter coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. So we will pass along anything that he says that is pertinent when he does so. This is obviously huge news. Wayno was expected to start opening day for the Cardinals. How much, in your opinion, Alex, does this hurt the Cardinals early on in the season? From a pure on-field standpoint, how much of an issue is this for the team? You know, when I stepped out of my house today and it was dark clouds outside and it was 70-something degrees, I'm thinking, well, today can't be that good of a day. And boom, Adam Wainwright gets hurt. I mean, it's significant because, one, you're talking about a vocal leader on this team and a, a... a captain of the pitching staff, if you're going to call him that on his final season, it was pretty much expected that he was going to be starting opening day. So that's a massive impact to be losing him for several weeks. But the other side of it, too, is you're losing somebody that you were relying upon to be your consistent every fifth starter to go out there and give you innings because nobody else is going to be that for your team this season because there's always so much hesitancy of can Flaherty stay healthy? What's Steven Matt's going to be? What's Jordan Montgomery? Is he a long man? And is Miles Michaelis going to be able to do this all season long? The only thing you didn't have question marks about was Adam Wainwright, even with the velocity being lower throughout spring training in the World Baseball Classic, you looked at it and you said he'll be fine because he always finds a way to give you six strong innings. And now you're losing that. Several weeks, it's the beginning of the season, at least it's not the end of the season, so that's a positive. But I, I think that's a massive blow in terms of chemistry and in terms of uh, starting the season off with the right mindset. Yeah, it, it just sucks for Adam Wainwright that in his final year he's going to miss the home opener because it was going to be a great storyline making that start pitching to a new catcher for the first time in I don't, 18 years. So that part of it sucks. But, guys, I, I think this might be the best thing for Adam Wainwright and the St. Louis Cardinals. And the reason I say that 
is though, yes, I do have faith in Adam Wainwright. I don't know if he was going to be able to kind of fine-tune himself into becoming the pitcher that you expect him to be while dealing with a groin issue. Because just my tinfoil theory is when he was complaining earlier in spring training, but, you know, my back's been bothering me. It's why my velo's down. I, I think he's been dealing with a groin issue all along, and then he just re-aggravated it when he was in the weight room. So I, I think this is the best thing. One, he can now insert Jake Woodford into the start starting rotation, and he's been great in spring training. He's done everything the Cardinals asked him to do in the offseason. So now he's in the rotation, and then now it does have a trickle-down effect on the bullpen. We'll talk about that here shortly. But... Adam Wayne right now has time to get right and get back to being himself. And I think when he comes off the injured list, he'll be better than what he was in spring training and at the WBC. I think the Vila will be back to normal. And I, I think you'll see a healthy Adam Wainwright, and we'll see the adjustments that he made coming off of the issue he had last year. And I think he'll be better, and I think he'll be better for it. Alex, I think a lot of what you said there is why I'm not super concerned about this. And the reason why is because most of the things that you mentioned on the this sucks because blank are off-field things. The leadership component, I think, is still going to be there. He's still going to be able to be a leader from the bench. He's basically an extra pitching coach for the first month of the season for the Cardinals until he goes out on his rehab assignment. Uh, the leadership stuff in general, I think, is a huge piece of why Adam Wainwright is back with the Cardinals this season. From a purely on-field perspective, I agree with you, T-Bone. I think you can make an argument, and I know nobody wants to do it right now, but based on what we've seen in the spring, if you gave me a blind resume of what Jake Woodford was in the spring and what Adam Wainwright was in the spring. The better pitcher is not hard to identify. The better pitcher in the spring, and it's spring, take it with a grain of salt, was Jake Woodford. He outperformed Adam Wainwright during the spring. The, the velocity, I, was it a 10 out of 10 on the scale of concern? No, it was at least a six though. Was his stuff playing up the way that you would like to see at this point in the spring? No, I don't think so. I don't think he was great in the WBC. I know that people will point to, yeah, but his team won. Sure, I get it. And he fought through the way that we all expect Adam Wainwright to. But I, I don't think that Waino was totally right going into the season. And if he was going up against, for example, the opening day opponent, which is the Toronto Blue Jays, I wouldn't have felt great about your matchup there. So I don't think that you necessarily got like significantly better with Jake Woodford being in the rotation over Wayno, but I certainly don't think it's a significant drop off early in the season. If this ends up being a long term thing, that is a different discussion. But if we're talking about can you cover for a month of this version of Adam Wainwright on field exclusively? I don't think they're going to have a tough time doing that. I think they're fine. I'm still skeptical on the Jake Woodford side of it, but we could talk about that a little bit later. Here's my bigger concern with Wayno. Typically when we see this, and I'm just going off of recency with Cardinals, and maybe it, that it's a groin and not an arm, that's the problem. But typically when it's at the start of the season, it takes more than several weeks to get that player back to what you expect. And Wayno's a different entity with this because Wayno, you know, the old saying, he knows himself better than anybody else and he knows how to pitch. Maybe he gets right after several weeks and a couple of rehab starts and he's back to himself. But typically when it comes to this after the beginning or end of spring training where they're injured and they're going to miss the start of the season, it takes a few months to get right and then you just never see them back to it. That's my that's my yellow flag right now with this of saying 
boy, I hope this doesn't carry over two, three, four months into the season. See, I'm not worried about that because it's not an arm issue. If yeah. this was a elbow, shoulder, or forearm issue, I'm totally right there with you. I would be, like, sounding the alarm bells Like Rodriguez, today. for example. Sure. Yeah, Rodriguez, you want to be super worried about him? I get it. I, I have zero reason not to, or to push back on that. But with Wayno, this is a groin issue. Now, could this linger? Absolutely. I have no idea how this is going to heal for a guy that's over the age of 40 at this point. I mean, we were talking about it at the end of last season. The comebacker ended up basically ruining the final six weeks of his season. So can that be the case again? Yeah, sure. He's, the guy's more than 40 years old, and this was always the concern about signing a player of his age is if he does get hurt, it just takes longer to be able to get back on the field at a high level. So I get it if you're worried about it. I don't have the concern that it's going to be like a three plus month issue because it's a groin issue. Um, so it, it's just a it's a soft tissue thing. I, I think he'll be able to be back. I think he'll be fine. And for me, the only thing that really matters is what he does down the stretch. We'll get into that a little bit more uh, later on today, but I'm not super worried about this being a long term thing for Wayno. in terms of the trickle down effect. T-Bone, you mentioned this one of the last big question marks that we had going into the season was who's going to get those final spots in the bullpen and it was too many guys for not enough spots roughly two hours ago that has now changed I think you can now lock in 12 members of this pitching staff going into the season and it's really about who you think is going to be the 13th man on the pitching staff I think your five-man rotation as of today is in some order or another Miles Michaelis Jack Flaherty Jordan Montgomery, Steven Matz, and Jake Woodford. I think those are your five starting pitchers. We all agree on that? Yep. Yep. I think your seven guys that are locked into the bullpen as of today. Helsley, Geo, Hicks, Thompson as the lefty, Drew Verhagen, Andre Pallante, Chris Stratton. Do we all agree with those seven as being locks in the bullpen on opening day? I'd agree. I do. I think it comes down to the last guy. And I genuinely, you could throw seven different names at me and I would say that's possible. I don't know who that last player is going to be, but that's where the Cardinals are at right now. That's the trickle down effect. I think Palante is now locked into the roster. I think if you're looking at like a Chris Stratton, if you thought maybe he gets DFA, I don't think that's going to happen now. The I think the roster is no longer about competition for the guys that were, ooh, man, can you believe that guy's not going to make it? No, now it's about which of the others is going to make the opening day roster. By the way, it will not be Anthony Masevich, who was sent down today. Your MLB camp now stands at 40 players. All that cash You've got 14 cuts that remain to be used. Do you guys have a leader in the clubhouse when it comes to that final spot in the bullpen? I don't know if I agree with it or if I even like it because the spring hasn't gone well, but and I know PK hates this, it's going to be one of those two lefties, whether it's Henesis Cabrera or Jojo Romero. I, I I would lean more towards Henesis Cabrera because of what the upside and the potential is if he gets right is. And I would venture to say now with all everything that's taken place and with the uncertainty of Wilking Rodriguez and where you're going to go with it, rather than add another guy to the 40-man roster, they're going to just say, let's stick with Cabrera, see if we can get him right in the first month of the season. And then if he doesn't, that's where the revolving door comes in. So I would lean more towards Cabrera, but I think it's either him or Jojo Romero. I would like to see them carry Andrew Suarez. He's on a minor league invite. He was he came over from San Francisco last year. Eight games, eight innings of work, seven strikeouts, no earned runs allowed. Now he has given up a handful of hits, and he's walked and hit a couple guys. 
But oh, that's always good. But, 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 Cabrera does that he, too. Yeah, he hasn't given up a lot of hard hit contact based on the games in which they've had that data available. So the Cardinals value the 40 man, and that's why I'm skeptical if they would do it. But I would say Andrew Suarez deserves it over Cabrera, over Packy, over Jojo Romero. To me, he's been the best left-hander out of the bullpen options that are remaining in camp. And if they wanted to, and this is what I'm intrigued to see, because I, I I do think you need a long reliever when you're early in the season. And now that Woodford's going to slide into the rotation more than likely, I am curious to know if they would consider Matthew Libertor because he was really good in spring training. I think he changed something in the offseason. I would still lean towards Suarez, but if they want a long option in the pen, I think it would be Matthew Libertor. I think there's a few things that are leaning towards Matthew Libertor. One, I'm not sure all of your guys are built up right now. Like, Miles Michaelis did not build up the way that he probably should have in the World Baseball Classic. It's just a side effect. It's an unintended consequence of what was an unbelievable tournament for all of us to watch as spectators. I think in the future, by the way, one little side note on this, I think they should go to the 28-man roster after the WBC in future years. I think that's something that they should consider the way that they did coming off of the COVID season because you're going to have pitchers that just aren't built up all the way. The Padres are dealing with this too. You Darvish told them, hey guys, not ready to go. Hopefully that's okay with you all. That's a fun text to receive. The reason why I would go with uh, Matthew Libertor as well is because he can cover some of those innings for you. If you get a short start early in the season, from Miles Michaelis, he ends up going three instead of his usual six or seven. You're able to pick up those innings. You're not super shot in your bullpen as a result of it. So I would go Liberator. And the other reason why I think he could potentially make more sense than uh, Andrew Suarez, who has been very good in spring training. I'm not taking anything away from him. 40 man spot. I know we hate it. We don't like talking about it. I think it's silly how much they point to it because like there's clearly options on this 40 man that you could send down if you needed to. But they're already already going to have to potentially make some tough decisions if they want to go with a new backup catcher. They're going to have to potentially add uh, Jordan Walker to the 40-man roster as well. There's going to be tough choices. You've already got Matthew Libertor on the 40-man roster. He serves that long man option for you. He brings the left-hand um, option out of your bullpen. And he's somebody that added a little swing and miss to his game in spring training. He would be my choice. Alex, do you have one? I would say Cabrera or Romero because I feel like, well, Woodford was that long man, so I get the Matthew Libertor. My only hesitancy with the Libertor one is, do you think it matters to them that they already sent him down? No. I don't think it should. Maybe it does, but I don't think it should. I, I think, because I think otherwise, the calculus has changed when Wayno came back and he was hurt. Right. But I'm just thinking, too, like because if they've got the guys that are on the roster still, they're going to see what they've got more longevity-wise. And I know even if he's sent down, he's still with the team in Jupiter, so it's still pitching. He's pitching on the back. Yeah, so it's just a matter of you know a transaction with this. But I would still lean towards somebody on this, whether it's Romero or Henesis Cabrera. I, I, I think the only hesitancy they might have with Libertor, and, and again, if they went with Libertor, over Suarez I would get it my fear though is that Suarez he's a non-roster invite would go somewhere else he wouldn't take a minor league assignment and he's been too good to kind of let go um but I I think the one thing against Libertor would be the Cardinals would say man we really liked your stuff we need really want starter yeah we really want you to be that six slash seventh guy in case someone in this five-man rotation now with Woodford and it gets hurt Let's send you down to AAA. You'll start, and we'll carry Dakota Hudson as that long man. That might be what they decide to do. Totally possible. I think you're making your bullpen worse by doing that, but I do understand the logic, especially now that you're already without one of the guys that you were expecting to carry a decent load. Couldn't you use Palante as a long man, though, since he was... 
I mean, starting for you last season? I could. I think that Wilking Rodriguez, this injury, it, it sounds so weird to say out loud. I'm talking about Adam Wainwright and Wilking Rodriguez. If there's one that's more impactful early in the season that hurts you more in a strange roundabout way, I actually think it's harder to replace what they were expecting from Wilking Rodriguez than it is to replace what they were expecting out of Adam Wainwright early in the season. If these are both long-term injuries, the one that hurts you more is Wayno. But if they're both just like a month, I think that it's a little harder to replace the Wilking Rodriguez side of things because they were hoping he could be their seventh inning guy. As of today, I don't know whose pitches. It's been what I've been talking about all offseason. I don't know who throws in the seventh inning if you don't trust Jordan Hicks. I think their first option is going to be Hicks. And then after that, I don't know who the guy is. So um, I think it might be Palante to answer your question directly. That's why I'm not sure he's going to be that long man. And I mean, I'm the biggest advocate for Dakota Hudson. We all know that, although I did give him my eulogy. So I've kind of moved on. Um, I, I agree with you in the sense that you're not making your bullpen better with Dakota Hudson because there's only certain spots that you're using him in. And I'd rather bring somebody who you feel like you can use in multiple areas. We're going to continue this conversation on the other side. Greg Amsinger, I think, needs to be blamed for this injury. I think he's the reason why this happened. Oh, why are you throwing him on the bus? So we're going to talk about Greg Amsinger talking some BS earlier today about the St. Louis Cardinals and how he's the one that caused the Adam Wainwright injury. Plus, we'll let you hear or we'll we'll update you on whatever it is that Wainwright's saying right now down in Jupiter. We'll do it all. Joey Vitale coming up in about 10 minutes here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm reopening my pick to go to the World Series. And people have been asking me if, if it's not the Mets anymore because the Diaz injury, who's it going to be? My bad knee is really leaning towards St. Louis. <laughs> I am feeling the St. Louis Cardinals in the World Series. I know people are looking at the, the radar gun of Adam Wainwright. They're going 84 miles an hour fastball. What is going on? Can we stop? 41 years old. He knows he's getting up there in age. He can still manipulate a baseball with that curve. He's going to be just fine. The depth in the outfield, the depth in the starting rotation now, they're in my top three of who I'm picking to represent the National League in the World Series. That was Greg Amsinger earlier today. Guys, that was at 730 on the opening drive. That didn't age well. This is why you're blaming You them. guys give me a whole lot of crap about the BKO. BK's trying to do the look over here. <laughs> I have never heard a bigger BKO than at 7, probably 35-ish. <laughs> Greg Amsinger saying one of the reasons why he's picking the Cardinals to win the World Series this year is because Adam Wainwright's fine. and Everything's great. And then an hour later, the Cardinals announced that Adam Wainwright is going to miss, quote, several weeks with a groin issue that that was quite the uh, the GKO, if you will, Look by one Greg, Greg Amsinger alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks. And I'm Brandon Kiley. Uh, all right, guys. So w- what would have to happen for that to be the case? Like if you take Greg for his word and I said all along, I'm really high on this Cardinals team going into 2023. I think they're they're really good. Now, you might just say that I'm really high, but I I really do believe that the Cardinals are going to be an excellent team in 2023. What has to happen in your mind? What has to go right for Greg to be correct and that this team is playing in the World Series come October? We have this kind of time. It's a long list. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, hold on. Let me whip out what my Santa like Claus three list big right things? now. Let's say that. The, the three biggest things that have to go okay, their way. Your T-bone three. T-bone hit the open. Don't do that. I, I, Don't do that, T-bone. I, I wish we were doing I, I mean, that. If, there, if there are three things with this, the offense has to live up to the expectations. 
you're going to have to get somebody who can take the ace type of form, whether it's Flaherty, Michaelis, Montgomery, and your bullpen's going to have to figure out how to be better than what we're expecting them to be right now. And one of those three, I believe, can happen. The other two, I am still very skeptical on. And now, and again, I understand it's only several weeks, although now we know that the GKO might have made this several months. Um, now you're going to have to find somebody who can eat more innings for you. And I don't know if you've got that person because I'm very skeptical on Jake Woodford. And if that's the case, your bullpen's going to be taxed. And guess what? You only got two guys that you could trust right now in that bullpen. So those are the three things for me that would have to take place. And honestly, the only thing that I believe can happen is the offense. I'm not concerned about an innings deficit yet because I think they do have the guys that can do it. Um, But I, I think the three things for me would be, one, the offense basically has to be legit one through six and probably be about top five, top seven in baseball. And I, I think they can get there. The offense, strangely enough, I don't have as many concerns. I don't have really any concerns about it. I think it'll be really good. The The two main things for me is, one, you've got to have an ace. Jack Flaherty either has to be the ace or you have to find somebody that's going to be that guy because Michaelis, Matts, Montgomery, they cannot fill that role. They are good pitchers. They cannot fill the role of being a legit ace. And then the other one for me is they have to have four guys emerge out of this bullpen as being legit studs. And they've got two in Helsley and Gallegos. And to your point on Rodriguez in our last segment, I thought he was going to be one of those guys, at least early on. That was the hope he would develop into one of those guys. Now they need two other guys in this bullpen to kind of take that role, whether that is Hicks or it's Verhagen or it's uh, Thompson. I think Thompson's going to be the top left-hander that's going to be coming out in that role. We'll see if he can hold up in the seventh inning. If not, you have to go get those guys at the trade deadline because I said it all along. In the postseason, you need to have three legitimate bats. You need to have a ace with three legit good starters, and then you need to have four legitimate arms coming out of your bullpen with swing and miss stuff. And right now, I think the Cardinals feel the bat one. The ace question, I don't know about. They've got good starters behind that, and they definitely don't have four legitimate arms right now that I've seen pitch for them. I think that... Everything you guys have said is makes a lot of sense. I would add one other thing. They need one all-star caliber when you look at the numbers outfielder this year. I don't care who it is. It can be Newbar, it can be Walker, it can be O'Neal, it can be Carlson. It doesn't matter. But when you look at the, the numbers that they're producing, they don't even have to necessarily make the all-star game. But when you look at the numbers around all-star uh, period, the mid-July, they need to be putting up all-star caliber numbers because that's where you get your two-hole hitter from. Yesterday, Ollie Marmol confirmed that his 3-4-5, what he's expecting it to be, is Goldie, Arenado, and Contreras. I would be pretty surprised if your leadoff hitter is not at least some combination of Brendan Donovan and Tommy Edmond. Probably Donovan against righties, Edmond against lefties. That would be the way that I would construct it, and I think it's the way that Ollie Marmol's going to go about it. And then your two-hole, and then 7-8-9, essentially, is to be pieced together day-to-day, depending on what the matchups are. Whoever that all-star caliber outfielder is, they're going to get the vast majority of those opportunities, I believe, batting second in this lineup. Man, that's a great spot to hit in this order. When you've got those three that are coming up after you, you've got a table setter like Edmund and Donovan in front of you, you're going to have some RBI opportunities, and you're going to have some opportunities where you're going to get legit pitches to hit. Tyler O'Neill, for example, batting there. Who, buddy, that could be a lot of fun. Lars Newtbar with that on-base percentage plus his slugging, that could be really good. But that would be the one other thing that I would add is they need one of those outfielders to put up all-star caliber numbers. For all of the talk about the pitching, and it's super important that they get the pitching, that's an obvious one. 
I would add the outfield as one of the other things that needs to go right. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. We'll get to questions and answers coming up at 1145. I'm sure you guys have plenty of them with the news of the day. If you missed it, Adam Wainwright starting the season on the IL, likely to miss several weeks, could be delayed at least a month to start his season. And the other one, I think an under-the-radar type of a move, Wilking Rodriguez is also going to start the season on the IL with a sore shoulder. Not what you want to hear right before the start of the Cardinal season. Coming up next, Joey Vitale, Blues Analyst for 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll get to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to talk to our friend Joey Vitale here in just a moment. But one bit of news to pass along. This comes from John Denton of Cardinals.com. Adam Wainwright speaking with the media out in Jupiter right now, explaining exactly what happened with his injury. He said he felt a quote pop or a strain in his groin muscle while doing split squats in the weight room on Tuesday. He added that it was his third set, making sure to clarify that on the split squats when he got injured. He then said his legs have indeed been feeling better, and that adds even more frustration to this injury. Should have just stopped after the second set, Wayno. The third set. Clearly, if he just didn't go to the WBC, none of this would have happened. It's the WBC's fault that when Adam Wainwright was doing split squats, he got hurt. The WBC ruined Adam Wainwright's groin. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, WBC. I think that's fair to say. We're going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line right now to be joined by our friend, Blues Analyst for 101 ESPN. He's Joey Vitale on the show. Joey, how you doing today, man? Joey, Joey, Joey. What's up, boys? Guys, I'm doing great. Doing great. How are you guys today? Doing good, Joe. Have you ever popped a groin during squats? You know what? I I did actually, I I did nick up a groin once when I was training for hockey. A a buddy of mine actually asked me to come out to play some soccer with another team. So it was my trainer who trained me. He was also training a soccer team. He's like, hey, come on out with these high school soccer kids. We'll mix it up. And I, I started moving my body a little bit differently, and it's amazing how when you move your body just a little bit differently, the next day I was actually working out, and I, I actually injured my groin, almost very similar to what Adam Wainwright did in a split squat situation. So it could have been even the activity he was doing before or near uh, that exercise because uh, these baseball players, like hockey players, were, were so programmed to move our bodies as much as we move them they're kind of moving in the same motions over and over and over. And then as soon as you kind of get away from that, just even a little bit, it could cause injury. That's why uh, T-Bone and I have the mindset, Joe, of just not doing anything and laying on the couch because you can't pop a groin doing that. That's, that's actually true. You know, to be, to be truthful, though, they, this is why they, they say for young athletes and for young kids, it's important <laughs> to play a ton of different sports because if you they're, they're finding if you get selective at a very young age and play the same sport from age 8 up until 18 – uh, the risk for injury goes up dramatically. So this is 
this all goes back to the point of letting your kids play as many sports as they can because it, it will prevent injury uh, aside from doing some other great things as well. Special, specialization is bad. Please stop making your kids do it. Please. Just allow them to play multiple BK sports. PSA. Yeah, that, that is my PSA for the day. Joey, we appreciate the time, and I wanted to ask you about Joel Hofer because he's making his fourth straight start tonight against the Detroit Red Wings. He's been super impressive in his first three starts for the Blues. Are, are you surprised at all to see him making another one tonight in Detroit and what are you hoping to see from the young guy I'm not surprised you know I think he's going to start tonight and I think he's going to even maybe even start one more on the weekend whether it be the LA or the Los Angeles Kings game one of those two I think he's going to get in there as well now from there where do we go I think that they eventually are going to send him down maybe come Monday after we get through this weekend and I think they're going to let Bennington and Grice take the rest of the way that's me personally because I think they want to get him back down to the minors they want to make sure he he competes and plays some high competitive hockey down there, and he, and he competes for a championship. And I think in some ways, guys, competing for a championship in the American Hockey League is probably more beneficial for Joel Hofer than staying up here and playing, let's say, three or four more games at the National Hockey League level. So I do think they are going to send him back down there after the weekend gets through. I think he's earned the starts. I think he deserves to get another start here in tonight's game. I think that they're just creating momentum for him heading into the summer where they wanted this to be a really good summer of training, and they want him going in there with a very optimistic outlook about how he's going to be the backup next year with Jordan Bennington. So to me, just two thumbs way up. Joe, speaking of deserved opportunities, why haven't we seen Pareko and Scandella skate together? We talked Pareko on postgame the other night, and I mean, he's playing great since back to that first game prior to the trade deadline. But man, Marco Scandella has been one of the most noticeable guys on the ice these last few games. Do you feel like we should see those two together again? I think that the last game was easily the best game Marco Scandella's played all season. He, he's dealt with a lot of injuries, obviously, this year, his hip surgery. And I think they wanted to ease him back in slowly. I think last game really has opened their eyes in the sense of, hey, this, this kid's ready to go now. I think they, for the first few weeks, you know, get him, get him those bottom, bottom six minutes, let him kind of ease in with 13, 14 minutes. The last game, I think they really stretched out his legs and they realized this kid's ready to go. So to me, I think at any moment now, Alex, to your point, I think you could see Scandella back with Colton Pareko. His ice time increased last game there as well. He, he proved that he could handle the workload and certainly not only defend, but also get up in the offense as he got his goal there in that first period. So I think this is something we easily can see here in the future. The Scandy man is back, baby. You love the to see it. Man uh, Joe, I did want to ask you about Jake Neighbors as well, who's getting an increase in his role tonight. He's going to be up. We saw this a little bit in the third period the other night. He's going to be up playing with Thomas and Cairo on that top line. It's a huge opportunity for him, of course. I, I know yesterday Craig Berube talked a little bit about what he's looking for. He wants him to be that puck hound uh, that we've seen him be in the past. Is this a role that you think Jake Neighbors could take on for not just the next few games, but potentially for the foreseeable future as being a player with Thomas and Kyrie? Well, they're going to find out, and this is why they're going to put him up there. And this is how you, this is how you utilize a roster for a team like the St. Louis Blues that are out of a playoff hunt that are about to head into a long offseason. You have to know what you have before you come into it in October. Doug Armstrong is going to be making certain moves this offseason based off of the opportunities given. You know, you give Jake Neighbors a bottom six role, you're going to see spurts of greatness. You give Logan Brown a bottom six role, you're going to see spurts of greatness. Same with Torbchenko. They've given Torbchenko the reins. They allowed him to do it for five or six games. That's how you have to do it. You can't allow a kid like Torbchenko to go up there, play one game, and then all of a sudden send him right back down. 
a true opportunity for a young player like Neighbors and Torbchenko is if you get five to six games in a row with some high-talented elite players, like I think they're going to do here with Jake Neighbors. It's going to start tonight in Detroit. I think it's going to continue the next four to five games. It takes about that long at times for certain players to find chemistry and some sort of rhythm. So to give them a fair shot, I think this is what's going to happen for Neighbors here over the next weekend, maybe even four or five games, depending on how he does. And for Doug Armstrong and Craig Bruby, uh, BK, to answer your question, they're going to find out what they have because, you know, you can see spurts of, 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 of a player in those bottom six minutes. But, you know, to truly give it an evaluation of can this guy be a top six guy, you really have to put him up there with those elite guys, even if he's not necessarily ready. Uh, he's dealt with a shoulder injury. He's been up. He's been down. But certainly a great opportunity again here for Jake Neighbors tonight. It's a little bit of an early start tonight in the Central Time Zone. Blues at the Red Wings. Pre-game coverage with Alex and Joe coming your way at 5 o'clock right here in your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Joey will have the puck drop with Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, coming up tonight at 6. Joe, we appreciate the time as always. Enjoy yourself up in Detroit, and we'll talk with you again next week, my man. Sounds good, boys. You guys have a great weekend. Same to you. It's Joey Vitale here on 101 ESPN. JR, by the way, just tweeting out the lines for tonight, the projected lineup for your St. Louis Blues. As we just mentioned, Jake Neighbors with Thomas and Cairo. You also have a second line. They're switching up all these lines a little bit, Alex. Blay with Buchnevich and Kapanen. Blay will be on the left wing, so you got a little bit more physicality with Buchnevich and Kapanen. And then they've got Sod with Shin and Verona. Wow. I, I kind of like the construction of these. These feel more Craig Berube-esque where you've got a physical presence on each of these lines along with a shooter and a distributor. Like, I I kind of like what he's trying to accomplish with these. Yeah, it's interesting with Verona and Shen um, because in this this lengthens out your ability to distribute lines rather than having two of them. And then you've got the Shen, Sod, and Blay line. That was more of a defensive um, line for your team. It's interesting, though, because if you want Buchnevich to continue to excel at center, it feels like you want to have a Verona with him, somebody who can finish the shot, but maybe they just didn't like what it was working with, Buchnevich and Verona. And frankly, for how much of a a forechecking presence Braden Shen and Brandon Saad are, that might be the best-case scenario for Yakub Verona. Yeah, I, I know we've seen some of Verona at the net. Like That's where a decent number of his goals are, is they're just right in front of the net, and he's just placed himself there. Uh, Brandon Saad kind of plays that same role, and I wonder if they're going to have Verona in more of a like one-timer-slash-shooter mentality. I think he's going to be more line. of a Kairou floater where you're waiting for that shot and to I kind of like that. Yeah. I like that potential for him with Shin opening up some space and Saad being that net front presence possibility. I also like two guys that can win off of the rush with Braden Shin. I think that line could work. The one that I'm really curious about is that Buchnevich, Kapanen, and Blay line. Do do they have enough skill to be able to make it work with Buchnevich? And this is where it really comes down to. We're going to talk about this a little further later on, Alex. I do think they need, and I, I think even we've heard from uh, Doug Armstrong, he said this. I think they need one more top nine player. I like Sammy Blay. He's played really well since he's returned here to St. Louis. It's just when I look at their top nine right now, he's the name that sticks out of one of these things is not quite like all of the others. And if they had one more real scoring punch presence on that line with Buchnevich and Kapanen, you start to see what this could end up being. One thing that I am noticing a trend with Barubi is it does seem like they're doing auditions for everybody in a top nine role. Absolutely. Torpchenko's gotten it. Verona's gotten it. Neighbors is going to get it. And Blaze getting it. They're trying to find out. Oh, are, top six role. Yeah. Are, are any of these guys top six forwards? Because if not, guess what we're going into the offseason for? But that's also going to be the conversation with Booch, which I know we're going to talk about a little bit later also. 
Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you guys have any questions, we'll try to get you some answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text 314-399-9646. PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. That's Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. We'll get back to the Adam Wainwright storyline. If you're just tuning in, he is going to be out for at least the next few weeks with a groin strain. We'll give you the latest on that coming up at the top of the hour. But right now, let's start with this from the 314. Guys, the Sweet 16 officially kicks off tonight or tips off tonight, I guess you could say. Who do you like in the games in the Sweet 16? Anybody in particular that stands out as a clear-cut, can't-miss-it, they're-going-to-advance type of a team? Well, I think Bama, for me, is one, but that's tomorrow. Uh, looking at tonight's matchups, Tennessee, I, I think the FAU run comes to an end tonight. Uh, I, I'm i surprised Michigan State is favored over Kansas State. I, I think Kansas State can beat Michigan State. That one State. shocks me. Uh, but there's got to, you know, the, like we say, they don't build those nice buildings in Vegas for a reason. Or, it's basically a pick-up, though. I said that wrong. <laughs> well, yeah, you get the point. You know what I was saying. This is uh, embarrassing I, for all of us. I actually like Arkansas over UConn tonight. I, for whatever reason, UConn's been impressive. I, 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 I just can't buy into them. And Arkansas is the kind of team that can kind of muck up a game and mm. then take you by surprise and win that basketball game. I mean, that's what they just did to Kansas. So... I, I actually like Arkansas tonight over UConn. That's kind of my. There's always going to be that one upset in the Sweet 16. I think that's the one I see happening. Listen up. I'm about to give you an eight leg parlay. Oh, oh baby. Going over the DraftKings app because about to nail this one. Forget about, you know, when I hey, said that Oral Roberts is going to go to the Final Four. Don't make it just an eight leg. Put the Blues game in it tonight, too. Well, we all know how that's going to go. Blues yeah. loss because we need that loss. Take the over and the Red Wings. Alabama, Creighton. I have FAU. That's Ooh, my upset. You have FAU over Tennessee. I yeah. like it. Yeah, that's my upset. I'm not picking it, but I like it. I have Michigan Ballsy. State. Also my upset. They would be favorite, but it's fine. Seven seed versus three seed. But upset. they're favorite in the odds. Don't care. Gonzaga, UConn, Xavier, and Houston. Xavier. Mm-hmm. That's my pick. I like Xavier as well. You're, you're wearing your Musketeers jacket today. Yeah, I transitioned Big away fan. from an Oral Roberts fan. Smart. If there's going to be a significant upset, by that I mean like one of Princeton over Creighton, Miami over Houston, San Diego State over Alabama, or Florida Atlantic over Tennessee. I know that's the one that you picked, Alex, but T-Bone for you, if there's going to be one of those that's like a significant underdog that you think will advance, who do you think it would be? Who's most likely to do that? I think it would be FAU. I, I don't think San Diego State can compete with Alabama. I, I don't think Miami can shock Houston. I think those two teams are just really good and are going to get to the final four and then i like the princeton story but now that creighton's had time to prepare for them and yeah. creighton played really well in their first first two good, rounds man. i, and I they've think got size yeah and i think creighton can get past princeton so i think the one for me would be fau i i've been really impressed with their play so far and i i could easily see them where tennessee just kind of had the i don't know if you'd call it the game of their life but they had one of those really impressive games where we we all agreed like that was the best we saw at Tennessee all year long when they took down Duke 
I could see them coming out and just laying an egg and FAU ends up getting past them. What do I always say? Styles make fights. That is a style game wise. That is going to be super fun to watch. Because do you always it, say that? I do. It's kind of one of my I things. I think I've never heard you say that, but go on. I am very curious to see what the tempo is in that game. And I'm very curious to see how FAU is able to score because Tennessee wants to take that thing into the mud. They want to make it into a rock fight, whatever analogy it is that you want to go with that. They want to play that game in the fifties or sixties. That's where they would like it to be. FAU wants to play in the seventies. They, they want to make this an up and down. Let's get as many possessions as possible type of a game because they believe in their offense. I think you can make a pretty strong argument. The two teams, like FAU is a better offensive team than Tennessee is this year. But Tennessee had arguably the best defense of the country this season. So I'm super curious to watch that. It's among the more intriguing games. I would go with FAU as well if I was having to pick one of the underdogs, significant underdogs to be able to advance. It, it is a little concerning to me, though, that we all picked the same team. I, I'm curious your thoughts on this. Fine. I, from a betting perspective, I, I'm starting to like the overs. I feel like they're, we're seeing more adjustment towards pushing lower on those because yeah, most of, all of them the are unders. like 130 to 140. Yeah, so I, I wonder if this is the round where you should probably hammer the over because the unders hit big time in the round of 32 in, in the first round. I wonder if now is that time. Maybe not the Tennessee FAU game because that could be one of those where it's low scoring. But I I, like the Arkansas-UConn game, 139.5. I might take the over. Michigan State-Kansas State, 138.5. Might take the over. Gonzaga-UCLA, that that game could be played in the 80s. Those teams are both excellent offensively, and Gonzaga does not defend very well. We saw that in their most recent matchup as well. Gonzaga can score with anybody in the country. Their defense lacks a little bit this year. It's not as good as it has been in previous seasons, and frankly, that's why I'm concerned. I picked them to win the national title, and I don't know if I love that pick at this point in time. Well, Oral Roberts is still in my final four, so. Uh, 314-399-9646 from the 618. Guys, if you could pick one game tonight for a bet, so against the spread, who would you take? If I was taking one, I would actually go against T-Bone. I would take UConn minus the four against Arkansas. I I really like UConn in this game against Arkansas. I think UConn is an underrated team. That would be the one that I feel best about. But I I like Tennessee as well. It's weird because I both think that Florida Atlantic is the most likely underdog to win. But I I do think Tennessee is clearly the better team there. So my, my bet would be UConn versus Arkansas. I think mine would be the Zags plus one and a half because all these other lines, I kind of have that feeling that you're saying where I can see both sides winning. I I think, I mean, if you're taking plus one and a half, you might as well take the money line, but I I like Gonzaga in the UCLA game. So I would probably take, I would probably take them on the money line or go, if you don't want to do that, do the spread at plus one and a half. I think I would take Michigan State minus one and a half. I'm I'm falling for the Tom Izzo team right now. And I think that keeps rolling. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 618. We'll get one more question here. Guys, do you think that the Jets are the favorite to win the Odell Beckham Jr. sweepstakes? If not, where do you see him going? I want to pass along a little bit of news that just came out as well in relation to this. It's not on Odell Beckham, but it is on another top flight wide receiver. According to Aaron Wilson of the Houston Chronicle, he says the DeAndre Hopkins trade market headlined by the Bills right now. Uh, The five-time Pro Bowl selection has plenty of interest on the trade market, but financial expectations might impact any further interest from the Chiefs or the Ravens. They are not among the current bidders, according to his sources. So it sounds like the Ravens and the Chiefs are out of the Odell 
or excuse me, the DeAndre Hopkins trade market earlier today on the Pat McAfee show. There was also another update on DeAndre Hopkins. This comes from, of course, none other than uh, Pac-Man Jones, who says that there are five teams that are remaining in on Odell Beckham Jr. He did not name the Chiefs, so it sounds like he might end up being onto something there. That was he where also my added Chiefs Buffalo were. was the headliner. That was where my Chiefs team was going to be. Or the uh, OBJ was the Chiefs. If they don't get DeAndre Hopkins, you go Chiefs. I think Odell Beckham Jr. is going to be a Chief. I, I mean, it would make sense if you're him. You want to go somewhere where you can win, and that's the perfect opportunity for you to do it. And if the Chiefs fall out of DeAndre Hopkins sweepstakes, you got to get another star for that receiving core. So that would be my pick. I, I like the Chiefs as well, but going different, I... I think the Jets will be the ones that get him, but I, I would love to see Baltimore be interested. I, I think Baltimore, you want to talk about smoothing things over with Lamar Jackson, go out there, get Odell Beckham Jr., give him somebody to throw the football to. I, I would love to see OBJ be a Baltimore Raven. I would have liked Hopkins to be a Raven. I also like him to be a Bill, but I would have liked to see him be a Raven. Bills is a lot of fun, dude. They I need a possession wide receiver because Stephon Diggs can be that guy, but you prefer him to be able to get down the field a little yeah, bit yeah. more. You need a big guy, too. They who need can... somebody to be in that number two role of being a real possession like move the chains type of receiver deandre hopkins is that so i would love him with the bills and then i would love odell beckham jr i mean obviously i'm saying this as a chiefs fan but even if i wasn't a chiefs fan how fun would it be to see odell beckham jr with patrick mahomes you can't ask for a better situation than that that being said it does suck for the ravens that they're potentially going to end up missing out on all of these wide receivers again ever nobody wants to go there because they don't know what's going to happen with lamar i get it they don't want to be having nick hundley throw to him i get it Coming up next, what is Adam Wainwright's most important role for the Cardinals in 2023? And when does that role really need to begin? We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. big part of this year for us is going to go out to, to, to prove that we're not just you know out here to, for nostalgia type purposes we're, we're, we actually want to win and I think we really can win so that's the only reason we're here you know if we're not if we're not expecting to win then nobody should pay us to be here and, and nobody should show up to watch us play as, as cool as it is that we've been here a long time they deserve to have people that want to win and, and expect to win and that's the way we are that was Adam Wainwright last year talking about the Cardinals plans for the season their goals for this season and why he, Albert Pujols, and Yadier Molina were returning. And it was to win a championship here in St. Louis. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Obviously, they fell short of that goal a year ago. But Adam Wainwright once again came back this season for one reason and one reason only. And that's to win a championship. He believes that this team has the chance to do that with him as one of the significant pieces. Now, obviously, if you missed the news earlier this morning... They're going to be without him for a while. He's going to start the season on the injured list, and it's likely that he misses about the first month of the season, if not more, with this groin strain. He's going to have to probably go out on a rehab assignment to build himself back up. It's going to take some time. He might miss, say, the month of April. He ends up coming back in May-ish. Guys, the reason why I'm not super worried about this is twofold. One, I think Jake Woodford has done a really good job so far in spring training, and he gives me confidence that they'll be fine in that fifth starter role. Two... It goes back to what we saw from Albert Pujols last year. Albert Pujols on on the 4th of July, he said pre afterwards, I thought about retiring at that point in time because it just wasn't going the way that I expected it to, and I didn't want to be somebody that went out like that. At that point, 
He was batting 189 and had an OPS of 600. He was one of the least productive hitters in Major League Baseball by the 4th of July. And then after that, he turned it on, and we all know what the second half of the season was like. He was the best hitter in the sport for the second half. That's all I care about with Wayno. If Wayno misses the first month of the season and he doesn't look right until we get to like July-ish, fine. What I care about with Wayno is that you don't finish the season the way that he did a year ago. That was a disaster for the Cardinals. Because when you get to that point in the season and you are expecting him to be something and then he's not, there's no way for you to adjust on the fly. There's no trade that you can make once you get into September. At that point, man, it's ride or die with Adam Wainwright. So for me, my biggest thing, what is the role for Adam Wainwright on this team? It's to be at his best at the end of the season. And if that means going on the IL to start things off, so be it. I don't have a problem with that. I think my best role for him is being open to being versatile. Because I don't know what they're going to turn Adam Wainwright into by the end of the season. It does make sense, obviously, being the fifth starter. But does he start to wear down to where you're not able to get those innings out of him and you're taxing your bullpen a little bit more? Does he become a bullpen arm for you in the final season to where you're using him as that high leverage arm? You can't. He he has no value in that role because of his stuff. I get he it. Can't but play that I, role for I, you. I, the way that this is starting, and I get that it's a growing injury, but man, I'm just so skeptical with these things that it's something else, and it's just going to lead to more. I I don't know if he's going to be an innings eater for you by the end of the season. And does somebody take over that role as the fifth starter by the end of the season? And you're going to have to use him somewhere because he's just not going to be on this team without a role. I'm with you. I, I think he's your fifth starter. Like this year, I think that was that should have been all of our expectations for Wayno going into the season. I know that he's going to start. He was planning to start on opening day. That was ceremonial. We we all agree with that, right? He is yeah. not your he shouldn't have been expected to be the Cardinals best starter this season. I don't think they expected him to be their best starter going into the year. He was for most of last year, but he was pitching above what it, what the expectations were for him reasonably. They need Jack to be that guy. They need Miles to be that guy. They need Montgomery to be that guy. Hell, they need Mats to be better than Wayno this year, if we're being totally honest. If he ends up being your fifth starter, great. That's fine. No problem at all. The thing that I disagreed with, though, Alex, was the high leverage part of it. Is there a situation in which or a scenario in which Jake Woodford overtakes Wayno as a starter for you? I'd be surprised. But if Jake Woodford is amazing in the first month of the season, I, I don't know. I'm sure that there's probably going to be some sort of an injury. Somebody else is not performing, whatever. And these things tend to work themselves out. But if Wayno were to be bounced into your bullpen, the role that he would hold there is the long man role. It would be the role that it was expected to be held previously by Jake Woodford. Like you'd basically be reversing them, which means he's coming in in like the fourth inning for mop up duty. That that is the only role that Wayno could hold in your bullpen because if you're pu- pulling him out of your rotation, it means he's not performing, which means you cannot have him in high leverage spots. But couldn't you be looking at it the other way of saying this could be a seventh inning guy for us to where we just need three outs. We need three outs to get to our eighth and ninth inning guy. And if you look at Wayno and say, look, if you can't give us the best pitches for five, six innings, give us three, give us three innings or I'm sorry, give us three outs, give us one inning. And if nobody takes a hold of the seventh inning role and Wayno is getting outperformed by a Jake Woodford or maybe somebody else comes onto the scene and, and is performing better than him in the fifth inning and he's not being able to give you more than four innings and you're going to your bullpen and you're taxing it, 
I feel like I would be comfortable if Wayno's giving you one inning in the seventh to get you to the eighth, ninth. The problem is, though, if he's not performing well enough as a starter, I, I don't have that confidence. But maybe it's not so much. Right now, I do. Right now, I do, because I haven't seen him fail. But if we get into the month of May or June, whatever, and we think that Jake Woodford is a better option for you as a starter than Adam Wainwright, then that means that I don't trust Adam Wainwright. And I can't be putting him out here in a high leverage spot where you're up by one run, middle of the order coming up in the seventh inning. And I'm saying, hey, Adam Wainwright's the guy that's going to get me out of this. In that scenario, I clearly don't trust him very much, so I can't put him out there. But maybe it's not you're trusting his stuff, but you're not trusting the ability to give you length, and you don't want to tax your bullpen. And you look at this and say, I hey, he's both, right? It's it's Because his stuff right now is not very good as is. He do, He's uh, among your starters, has the worst stuff right now. Yeah. And I, so it's it's a combination of that plus the lack of trust in general. I, I don't know. I, I just look at this as saying his most, most important role is going to have to be open to new things because I, I I don't know if he's in your rotation by the end of the season. I, I don't I think he'll be in the rotation by the end of the year because I think giving him seventeen and a half million dollars locked him into that spot. So I, I think you basically secured him as that fifth starter, good, bad or indifferent. But I. I think with Adam Wainwright, I, I look at his role, and, and BK mentioned, you know, I just care if he performs well in the second half. The first half, you know, who really cares? He can find out his stuff. I, to me, he was one of those guys that needed to be good in the first half because he is the guy that you really don't care. Um, I hate to say this. You really don't care about his arm. You, you're you willing to throw him out there for seven I mean, innings. You don't. <laughs> and and eat, eat innings. Like, he is the innings eater for this team as that five-man because you're going to be more precautious with Jordan Montgomery early in the year, with Steven Matz coming off an injury-plagued year, with Jack Flaherty coming off back-to-back injury-plagued years, and Miles Michaelis, who early on is probably not built up, as we said earlier, because he didn't get to build up in the World Baseball Classic because he was used more as a reliever. So I think the first half was super important for Adam Wainwright because he's that guy that, even if he wasn't performing well, you expect him to be go out there and eat innings for you to where you don't become a team that has an innings deficit. And not a lot of teams can say that about their number 5 starter. A lot of those Teams that have a fifth starter are typically like the spot where you're in with Dakota Hudson last year where it's like, hmm. okay, we just get three innings out of him. If we can just get three innings out, we'll cover it with the bullpen. That wasn't the case with Adam Wainwright. They they really – I said earlier, I don't know if it's that big a loss for the Cardinals, but they really did need him to take the role of eating innings early in the season, and that was going to be crucial, and that's where it comes down to, yeah, I think he had to perform in the first half, and he had to do so from the first half up until the end of the year because he could throw 200 innings. There's innings eaten by Adam Wainwright – and he probably wasn't going to be starting your playoff rotation because he d- doesn't have the stuff to play. So basically you're saying his his value was higher in the in the beginning of the season than it likely will or should be at the at the end of the year. Yeah, because I, because his stuff to it's your point, point doesn't play, but you know that he's going to go out there and even if his stuff's not playing, he's going to battle through and get you probably six innings at the minimum. I mean, look at the start, last start he had in the WBC. He was able to get out of the first inning with the bases loaded. I think it was nobody out, and he only allowed two runs. And then he was able to eat up four or five innings for USA. That's the kind of start the Cardinals needed from him. Maybe not so much base load in the first inning, but the kind of start they needed from him early in the season to cover innings and in the back end of the year to eat these innings. And again, I don't know if he would have been a starter in the postseason, even if he threw 200 innings plus. We do know that he would have started on opening day. Like Regardless of any of our opinions on that, he was going to start on opening day for the Cardinals. They basically announced as much. Well, now he's not. And John Denton was on with the balloon party. If you missed any of their conversation, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you can go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Here's what he had to say on who he thinks will now start on opening day. You know, they have two guys who've done it before. 
Uh, I would say probably Miles is probably the leader in the clubhouse. Jack threw on Tuesday down here, um, you know, and, and Miles, you know, he, he didn't get to pitch much with the WBC. He had two relief appearances. I think he may be on schedule to possibly pitch tomorrow, and then that would set him up for, for opening day on Thursday in, at Bush Stadium against the Blue Jays. Who do you guys think will and should start on opening day for the Cardinals? And are those two things the same answer? They're not for me um, because I thought who will start um, is Jack Flaherty. And if John Denton's putting that out there, I mean, John Denton's about as in tune as anybody at at spring training. So if he views it as Miles Michaelis, then I would probably lean more towards uh, Miles Will. But I think it should be Jack Flaherty. And I also thought before I heard John Denton say that it would been it would have been Jack Flaherty just because you're going into the season believing he is your ace. You need him to be your ace. And and I, although his stuff has not been great at spring training, we all know how frustrated he's getting with people asking him about it. If I'm Ollie, I'm looking at him and say, hey, you want to be the top dog? Let's do it. You're going to get opening day here. You're going to start off as our ace of the season. That's the way that I would have gone. But if Denton's saying miles, maybe maybe it's Michaelis. I so it is two different answers for me. I would like to see Mats get the start on opening day. I think he's got had the best stuff out of anybody in, in the Cardinals rotation in spring training. He looks great, and he's pitching again today, so he would be pretty close to on schedule to start on opening day. I, I do think they'll go to Jack Flaherty. I, I think when you put a big gamble at the Cardinals did and say, we're not going in on Carlos Rodon, which granted he's hurt, but they said we don't need starting pitching. We don't need to go get an ace this offseason. We have Jack Flaherty. The best thing you can do, even though his stuff has not looked that great in spring training, is continue to have that confidence and say, Jack, we believe you're our ace. We believe you're going to be that guy. We're not reading into the spring training numbers. This is your role. You are going to be the starter on opening day. And we talk about it all the time. You know, the differences in an ace. Max Scherzer starts on opening day. Somebody's got to start for the Royals on opening day. And he's kind of their ace for the Cardinals to say our ace is Jack Flaherty. Jack Flaherty probably should start on opening day think that it will and should be Miles Michaelis. I think the Jack stuff is prove it. Go prove that you are the ace for this staff. And I think by starting him on opening day, I do think there's a message that's being sent T-Bone. We're just taking it in different directions here. I think by starting him on opening day, they're basically saying, Jack, you're back. And I think instead what they want the message to be is, Jack, show us you're back. And to do that, he's got to pitch first. So far in spring, he's been fine. I would say it's been underwhelming relative to my own expectations. And so he hasn't earned it yet by what he's done in the spring. You could make an argument, neither as Miles Michaelis, but at least Michaelis proved it last year. Michaelis gave you 200 innings. He was an all-star. He was going up against other number one starters and was getting close to, if not matching, what they were able to produce. So for me... I think Miles Michaelis is deserving of that opportunity. It's a big day. It is ceremonial. And I think Michaelis right now would be considered my quote unquote number one starter for the Cardinals. The hope is that Jack Flaherty is starting game one when it really matters. And that's game one of the playoffs. That is when you can really earn it. So I think what they'll say is this is the carrot. Go out there and get it, Jack. You can be our our number one starter in the playoffs. But Miles Michaelis right now is that guy for us. We want you to be that for us next year and for many years to come. Coming up next, believe it or not, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. It's T-Bone's favorite segment of the week. Believe it or not, coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Guys, last week was embarrassing. It was bad. If they had tomatoes, they would have thrown it at us. Thought about it. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. Me. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. A much better performance all around. It just wasn't the right scenario last week. We just we didn't have it in us, boys. I, I, it's your fault. I, didn't have it in I us. tried to postpone last week's singing. And but you guys were like, we gotta do it. And I was like, guys, it's gonna be delayed. We're gonna look bad. Skip, believe it or not. That's what the people are looking for, saying, man. I was just saying we don't sing because I knew it was gonna be bad. Believe it or not, here on 101 ESPN, if you guys have a scenario, throw it in right now on the Air Comfort Service text line. I'll get us started with this. Guys, believe it or not, Jake Woodford is actually an upgrade for the Cardinals in their rotation over what they would have received from Adam Wainwright in this time. I'm not going to believe it. Somebody texted in earlier when I said I'm just I'm 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 not fully convinced on Jake Wood. What else do you need to see, Ferrario? Show it to me in the regular season. Show it to me when you go up against a quality major league baseball opponent because it's spring training and we've seen this with Jake Woodford in spring trainings of past. Maybe not the strikeout numbers, but he still has looked good in the past. We're like, oh, Jake Woodford. And then you get last season. So I'm not going to believe this. I'm totally believing this. I, I Jake Woodford, he's one of those guys that seeing the upgrades he's made to his slider in spring training, I, I think it's going to carry over into the regular season. I, I think you're going to see Jake Woodford pitch so well in this stretch that it's going to be hard and almost painful for Ollie to remove him from the rotation for Adam Wainwright when he comes back from the groin issue that Jake Woodford could perform so well in the stretch, he might be able to pencil himself into the rotation for next season. I think Jake Woodford is this year's Andre Pallante, where you come into camp and you're like, whoa, who's this guy? And it's a little different because we've seen Jake Woodford in the past, and this is just an improvement relative to what we've seen previously out of him. He's improved his slider. His fastball velocity is up a little bit. He looks like a more confident pitcher that is more in control when he's out there. I'm going to believe this. I do think that the results that you could have expected early in the season out of Wayno, I think they might have been a little disappointing relative to what we've seen from him in the past. And so when you look at what Jake Woodford, I think, can give you, I think it can be a little more impressive. I do think they might have upgraded their rotation as a result of this. That being said, I don't think that over the course of the season, the results will be better with Woodford than they would have been with Wayno. So it's really a month thing. If this ends up being longer term, like Alex is thinking, maybe it could be, then I will be a little bit more concerned. T-Bone, what do you have for Believe It or Not? Believe It or Not, the Cardinals will have two pitchers reach the 190-plus inning plateau like they did last year. Reach the what plateau? 190 innings pitched plateau. Uh, Not. I will start this one. Not believing that. I do not think they will have... I think they will get zero pitchers this year that have more than 190 innings pitched because I think Michaelis is going to start out the season not quite as ramped up as he was last year. And as a result of that, he's not going to get the early season cushion that he had a year ago. So I'm not believing this. I would take the under and I would actually say they get zero over 190 innings this year. I believe in it. I would say it'll be Montgomery and Michaelis. 190 innings. I'll say both of those guys get to that. Has I'm Montgomery gonna- ever gotten to 190? I think he hit 186. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just curious. I think he hit 186, if I'm not mistaken. I am going to 178 and a third is the most he's ever thrown, and that was last year. Um, I'm going to believe this, though. I, I think the Cardinals, I, I think the two guys that are going to do it, because I kind of agree. I'm not sure Michaelis will get there. 
I, I think Matz is going to eat a ton of innings this year, so I think he can get to like 190. And, and I think Jack Flaherty, I though his stuff has not been that impressive, I'm still banking on a big year from Jack Flaherty because it is a contract year, and I think he's going to show up and outperform the expectations, which have been lowered. I, I think he'll get to 190, if not 200. So I'm going to believe it. Alex, what do you have for Believe It or Not oh, today? Oh, sorry, folks. Uh, believe It or Not, I was in a weird space there looking at the Jordan Montgomery's numbers. Um, You're staring at his player picture? It's just so sexy. Uh, believe It or Not, what did you just say? No, we're not moving past this. What? I said his numbers are so sexy. That's what you said. I said his numbers are so sexy. Oh, I thought you said he is just no. so sexy. Oh, God, no. No, I said I'm looking at his numbers. And uncomfortable. I, I said I was looking at his numbers. I said, oh, they're just so sexy. Okay. I can see where you fall for the beard, though. Yeah, hey, got a good-looking beard, too. What can I say? Uh, believe it or not, Bryce Young will be the bust of all quarterbacks selected in this year's NFL draft. I'm not believing that. I think he'll be fine. I do not think he's going to live up to the expectations that people have on him, though. Like, So he'll be a bust. If if he becomes Ryan Tannehill, is that a bust? I, I believe he'll become Kyler Murray. Is that a bust? I, I think, I think that would be so. Fine. I, don't, I, I wouldn't consider Kyler Murray to be a bust. I think he's disappointing, but he's a legitimate starter in the NFL. I believe he's trending towards a bust. Like, I believe in the next couple of years, Kyler, Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray didn't have the off-field stuff? If he was just the same player on the field without any off-field questions, I think that might be kind of but what other Bryce than one is. season, I feel like Kyler Murray has not lived up to the expectations that were planted upon him when he was drafted by Arizona. But I, if you got him, like, say that he was traded today from Arizona to, I don't know, wherever. Uh, let's say he ends up going. Let's say Green Bay, it doesn't work out this year with Jordan Love. Their next quarterback is Kyler Murray. The expectations for him in Green Bay would be like, hey, be a middle of the pack starter. And I think he can be that. I think he is that right now. So I wouldn't personally, I wouldn't consider him a bust. Like Paxton Lynch is a bust. Johnny Manziel is a bust. Sam Darnold, bust. If you don't become at least a starting quarterback for a decade in the NFL, that I think is how you become a bust. I think Kyler's going to be that. See, and I think Kyler Murray is going to be a backup in the next couple of years. And that's Whoa. where I'm at with Bryce Young. I, I, I just, whoever drafts him, because I know he's got his pro day, to, pro day today and like everybody is there. Um, I, I look at the other quarterbacks and I see Young as being the one that we're thinking this guy's going to be a star and in five years, he's probably a backup quarterback. I So I'm not going to believe this because I don't think Young will be a, a bust. I, I think Bryce Young might be the best quarterback coming out of this class. I, I think the guys that could be bust... Anthony Richardson, I think, is definitely going to fall into that category. And I can see Will Levis doing that. I, I think the only ceiling for Will Levis is either he's going to be a really good quarterback or he's not going to be good at all. So I I, I think I'm going to – I'm not going to believe this. And to the Kyler Murray point, I I think I would lean towards bust just because when you're taking number one overall, expectation is you should be a franchise-altering and a top-ten quarterback. And he hasn't lived up to it. So I'd say bust. When you're taking, like – Anywhere between like probably 10 and like 15 or 5 and 15. Honestly, I don't think you have that high of an expectation. But when you go number one overall, you should be the best player to come out of that draft. And you should change the uh, trajectory of that franchise. And he just hasn't done that. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Believe It or Not. This one comes from the 314. Guys, believe it or not, Joel Hofer gets more starts than Jordan Bennington down the stretch. The rest of the season? Mm-hmm. So from now on, yeah. by the way, what, like just the final, uh, what is it, 13 games of the season? I'm not going to believe this because at one point I, f- 
there is going to be a point. I don't know if it's next week by the end of the weekend. Like Joey said, Hofer's going to go back down to Springfield and it'll be Bennington Grice. Grice is backing up Hofer tonight, by the way, like Bennington's not even on the bench tonight. So All I right, find that really interesting. Um, I, I, they're doing a mental reset for Bennington without actually saying it out loud. Is mental, that what's happening mental right now? Mental and physical, I wonder. Because, I mean, he has started 57 games this season, which is right up there with Connor Hellebuck. But I also wonder, because of what Barubi m- m- commented a couple of games ago, might be both of them where they're saying, like, hey, get your head right, get physically right, and we'll get you back on the ice. Like, he'll probably play, I would imagine, unless they go Hofer Saturday and Bennington Sunday. Um, but I'm not going to believe this, because I, I believe that the final 8, 9, 10 games of the season... 80-20 of that is going to be Jordan Bennington. I, I'm going to believe this. I, I I think he should get more starts than Bennington the rest of the way. And it's not so much because, one, he's been playing really well, but it's just the fact of I want to I want to see him in between the pipes in front of this defense, and I want to see what you have in Joel Hofer. And I think the best way to do that is to start him in, like, eight of the next 12 or seven of the next 12 and then sprinkle Bennington in. I know what Jordan Bennington is. I want to know what Joel Hofer is. And, and Joey made the point earlier when we had him on, you know, uh, he can get a lot of great experience down in the AHL during a playoff. Run. Yeah, I, I don't buy that. I, I think his best experience is to be learning up here with the NHL coaching staff and playing NHL games. That is way better than going against top lines in the AHL, which is mostly just fourth liners slash fringe NHLers. So I, I, I'm i going to believe this. I think he should be up here and he should get more starts at Bennington the rest of the way. I am totally with T-Bone on this one. I, I am kind of baffled honestly at the way that people are talking about him going back down especially in the next few days I just would disagree with the handling of that situation listen who am I to disagree with Army? obviously knows what he's doing here but like I would say his last start for the Blues should be on April 8th at Minnesota you got two games at that point remaining in the season, both against Dallas, one at home, one on the road, Wednesday, Thursday. Give those games to Grice and Bennington. Let that final week of the season, you send Hofer back down. He gets reacclimated to the AHL. I think they, at that point, would have two weeks left in the season, and then he starts for them in their playoff push as well. But I want him to get, in those last 10 games, four or five starts. Let's see what he looks like there uh, at a minimum. And so I would say that I'm I'm believing this. I think that Joel Hofer will and should get the majority of the starts the rest of the way, especially given that nugget that you just mentioned, where Bennington's not even going to be on the bench tonight. I I wonder if they're kind of, without saying it out loud, giving him a bit of a reset, and they're saying, hey, Benner, get yourself right mentally and physically. Give yourself like a week or two off. We'll let Grice and Hofer handle it for now, and we'll get you back towards the end of the season for a couple of quick tune-up games. I got another one, if you guys don't mind me throwing in. Please. Believe it or not, the Blues are going to trade a goaltender this offseason. Uh, so I'm, I'm talking NHL and AHL goaltenders. Because Zarenko's been great down in the AHL And they've so also far. got Col- Colton Ellis, who's I been playing in the ECHL, who's a very highly touted goaltending prospect. I-, I think the way that Hofer is performing now and the way Vadim Zarenko is playing, I would believe this, that the package that Doug Armstrong pulls off this offseason, if he does is going to include a goaltending prospect because you're going to have three guys right now that deserve or will deserve an opportunity in the NHL on top of having Jordan Bennington. I, I would say that the Blues might be moving a goaltender this offseason. I would uh, I would say I'm not believing it, but it's an interesting theory that you bring up there. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'd believe it either just because I don't know if they'll have a, a massive trade in which they have to include them, but... 
I would it shock me? No, because that would be a move that I could see Army where he says, you know, we've got our goalies, and he decides to use Colton Ellis as a trade chip. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line. This one comes from the six three six guys. If Joel Hofer keeps winning, do you really want him starting, even if it costs us a chance at the lottery? That that is the tough part. That is the tough part. Like oh. the the talk about him getting better experience by going to the AHL. Don't buy that at all. I don't personally. The talk about him going down because the Blues don't want him winning games for them. That I could definitely buy, and I frankly understand it. And I wouldn't blame them for doing it because yeah. the, the race right now for a, a better draft pick is officially on, guys. Yeah. I mean, it is. You're tight. fighting with three other teams because I don't think Montreal. I know you could catch Montreal, but you're fighting with Philly, Arizona, and Vancouver. Yep. And Philly right now is at 64 points on the season. You have 68. Uh, Arizona's at 66. Vancouver, 67. And you play two of those three teams one more time this season. I mean, it is really close. And Grice is starting both of those games. We're talking about <laughs> a significant difference between the six and the nine spot in terms of the talent that could be available for you right You're talking there. talking about like a 5% difference in terms of a top Not even pick. talking about the number one overall stuff. Oh, I'm talking okay. about just in terms yep. of the talent that could remain. Somebody could be there at six that you really wish would have been there whenever you get to the ninth overall pick. So... Uh, yeah, those are those are significant, and that is a big part of the calculus as well. Coming up next, speaking of the Blues, Jake Neighbors, is he auditioning for a top-line role next season right now? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. to have a guy that's gonna get in there and forward check and you know be heavy on pucks and keep pucks alive for him and, and go to the net he's a hounder you know he's gonna get on pucks for these guys and go to the net and do all that dirty work so we'll see how it goes alongside alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kiley that was craig berube at morning skate yesterday talking about the, about the new lines that the blues are going with and it does sound like it's going to be jake neighbors on the wing for uh, the Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo line. Alex, I like it. And the reason why is because I think you might as well find out now what you have there. I, I don't know if this is going to be a long-term thing. I don't know that Jake Neighbors is a legitimate top-line player, at least at this point in his career. I think he probably fits a little bit better with like a second or third line type of a role. But when you look at what they wanted with Torpchenko on that line with Thomas and Cairo, it was, we need somebody that can create a little bit of space. We want somebody that's going to go in there and retrieve the puck, get in on the four check, do all the dirty work, really, that Thomas and Cairo don't want to and, frankly, probably shouldn't be doing. Neighbors does a lot of those things. So if it ends up working out, it's not hard to see how that would be the case. What do you think of him on that line? And do you think he could potentially lock up that role based on what he does the remainder of this season? Not by the end of this season, because he's still very green when it comes to the NHL. There's still some learning. And Joey's talked about this before. If he's still dealing with uh, whatever he dealt with last season when he was coming over from uh, juniors hockey back into the NHL in terms of an, an injury that's been nagging him. So um, I think the bigger question I ask is, what does that line need? Because they need a puck retriever, and Torpchenko was that a little bit, but Torpchenko couldn't finish. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to have somebody who can finish those opportunities. And it's no coincidence that they put Verana up there because that was a player who can finish with his shot, but very similar to Jordan Cairo. 
And then now you're giving the Jake neighbors the opportunity. And, and I think we all look at Jake neighbors and say, well, he's a, he's a power forward, but Jake neighbors isn't a Pat Maroon. Like Jake neighbors, isn't a guy who goes to the front of the net and stands there and wins those battles because frankly, he's young and he's still getting pushed around a little bit there. So I, I believe he can be a puck retriever. I believe he can be very good on the forecheck, and I believe he can be a guy who goes to the front of the net and isn't afraid to stand there. But can you finish? Because if you play on this line, you're going to be playing 18 minutes a night with Thomas and Cairo, and at some point you're going to be going up against, at the very worst, the other team's second-best line. So can Jake Neighbors get there? In a couple of years, absolutely. But I think this year going into next season is still going to be a little bit of audition, and that's why he's up there right now. I think Doug and company are trying to figure out, do we have to find somebody who can play that role with Thomas and Cairo next season? I Can he prove it? I, I think he can. I, I, I think in this stretch, if he shows an ability to be a finisher, I, I, I think you're going to see them say, you know what, maybe he can do it. And if you're in a retool even if you go into next season thinking Neighbors is that guy and then he turns out he's not, it's not the worst thing in the world for the St. Louis Blues because they're going to be able to quickly pivot. It's not like we're saying, okay, next year we want to be a playoff team and that means this amount of pressure is going on Jake Neighbors. That I don't think that's going to be the case. So I think if he shows that he can finish, because Torpchenko showed some spurts on that line, but I mean, as you clearly see, he didn't have... I hate to say it's the skill or the finishing ability to be a top six guy or on the top Tanko line. I would tell you that he didn't have the skill <laughs> or the finishing ability. I felt so bad for him because that poor kid had opportunity after top, after opportunity, and then it was just up, fell, up, puck fell off my skate, up, tripped over my stick. Torchenko so, is a one-trick pony, and he's yeah. really good at that trick. He's he going to go an wide, he's going to go straight liner. to the net, and he's going to be a very uh, north-south type of a player. He is the exact type of player that they've been looking for for that fourth-line winger role for like basically since Pat Maroon left. They've been looking for this guy, and now they have him. He's under cheap, cost-controlled contract. Torchenko is a great player to have in your lineup. He's just not somebody that I want playing with Thomas and Cairo, and that's no shot against him. Can, can I give you guys a name that off-season-wise, might be somebody that Doug Armstrong targets? First, let me talk about this Jake Neighbors thing, and then I would love to hear who no. you have as the name for them. No, Because the reason why I think this is super important is because I, I think that Neighbors potentially can capture this role because next year we know is going to be yet another year of growing for the Blues. If he's not able to capture it the remainder of the season, though, and he ends up just being okay, but it's not really anything that really stands out to you, I think the number one thing that they should be looking for this offseason is a legit winger. And I'm not talking about a guy that's going to score 30 goals. I'm not saying go out there and spend $7 million a year on a multi-year contract for a top-line winger that's going to be the next version of Pavel Buchnevich up there. I'm not asking for that. Go get the best possible version of Torpchenko. Go get Torpchenko with a little bit of skill. You don't have to pay crazy amounts of money for that. It's typically like a $3, 4000000 million player maybe. You might even be able to get him on a one-year bounce-back type of a deal. So that's what I think they're looking for, and they want to find out. Do we already have that internally with neighbors, and he can continue growing with that line, or do we need to go to market to be able to find that player? Who is that guy in your mind, Alex? Guys, it's Michael Bunting from Toronto. I did not realize that he was a UFA with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I've told you guys that Toronto's going to be in Capel after this season, especially if they get bounced. Look at what he has done the last two seasons, including this year with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And he's been playing on that top line, going to the front of the net. He's been the power forward. Frankly, he's kind of annoying to watch because he mouths off a lot. But he's a guy who is not a liability defensively. 
And he's a guy who has scored back-to-back seasons of 20 goals. How? By going to the front of the net, playing with guys like Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and William Nylander. Not the level of talent that Thomas and Cairo are at, but, I mean, he's making $900,000 right now. $950,000, and he's a UFA, and he's 27 years old. So Fits the criteria. I, I, this might be a player that Doug Armstrong looks at and say, okay, we need a winger. But all of this resides on Buchnevich playing center. Because if Buch doesn't want to play center, well, then now you're going to search for a centerman. But, man, I, I didn't even realize that this player was available. This might be the key for this because he's a power forward. He goes to the front of the net. He retrieves pucks, and he's got a little nastiness to him. He's a UFA? He's a UFA. After this season? And Toronto's not going to be able to afford him unless they trade one of their pieces out where, once again, ding, 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 does Doug Armstrong want to jump in? on a William Nylander sweepstakes if that takes place. I mean, he makes a ton of sense, honestly, man. Like, the the way that he plays, like, I'm looking over at Jay Fresh's numbers as well. He's, Six feet, 192 pounds. He's a tremendous finisher. He's good defensively, offensively, well-rounded winger, plays on the left side already, so it's not like you're trying to convert somebody that was on the left to the right or vice versa. Makes a lot of sense. I, yeah. I think he would fit in immediately with what their timeline is as well because you mentioned his age, 27 years old. That's something that fits in immediately with what they're trying to find. Not a big physical presence, but if you think that he can get in on the four check and he can be a part of that line, or if you just want it to be more of a rush line and you say, you know what, we're resigned to the fact that we know what they are. We know that Thomas and Cairo are never going to be that line that plays the way that, for example, the Shin Sod and Blay line has been previously where it's just – Hey, black and blue. That's going to be what that line is from start to finish, and you're not going to enjoy playing against them. This is a very different line. Maybe they come out basically after that shin line, and you say, hey, first you dealt with our physicality. Now look at the speed that we've got coming yeah. at you. And, I mean, again, if, if you've ever watched any of, of um, Bunting play, and I know a lot of people probably haven't, but, I, I mean, Michael Bunting is, I mean, he, he plays a lot like David Perron, where he's not getting in fights, he's not the overly physical guy, but he runs his mouth a lot, and it kind of gets teams off of their play, and that's where you capitalize. And, and I mean, just as a comp in terms of contract, uh, Zach Hyman, who's 30 years old and signed a $5.5 million uh, with the Edmonton Oilers, um, maybe you're probably looking at a little less than that, depending on what Bunting wants. But it's an intriguing name that I did not have realized was available that matches uh, the identity that you'd need for that top line with Kyrou and Thomas. I, I guess my question to it be, could you see neighbors being what we're talking about here, being that a maybe, I guess, 20 goals? I mean, that's what we kind of circled there was 20 goals, but a 50 to 60 point guy that could kind of, take this role and the reason I say I asked that question is because then instead of having to spend that money on sure. this guy you've got Jake Neighbors making basically the league minimum that's going to be in that spot and and I, I think that's kind of what they thought they were going to get from him on the third line this year and I, again we both me and BK and I think all of us in this room thought that at the beginning of the year that was too much to ask but if he shows well in these final 12 games is it realistic for us to think he can take that next step and get to this point because those numbers feel like what I thought we we're expecting Jake Neighbors to be like at his, maybe not his peak, but as I'm he just, was ascending to his I'm peak. I'm not sure Neighbors has the finishing ability yet. And that's why if you're trying to expedite this retool, I want somebody who can finish up there. I I believe Jake Neighbors' ceiling is a Brandon Sod. Like that's what I view Jake Neighbors as. Somebody who I'm not can't. not sure that they're the same stylistically though. Like Sod has speed and he wins off of the rush. I thought he was going to be more of a physical presence. I don't know that he's necessarily been that. Sod in Chicago was that way though. Like okay. if I remember correctly, and I might be off on this because it was 10 years ago, but Sod was the type I of guy. Think Neighbors is ever going to have the speed that Sod has. No, he's not, but he's, he'll, he'll I think offset he's, that I think by he's Shin. He's Shin on the wing. 
Yeah. Is what you're hoping for, at least. A little bit, but I... I Shen's more of a shooter because he's got that ability to score like that. Jake Neighbors is more going to score his goals in front of the net. And Brandon Saad was that way for the longest time. He's started to shoot a little bit more. But I just I look at a guy who you got to find the ability to always be on the puck and always finish. And that's who I want with Thomas and Cairo. You've tried it with Verona. You've tried it with Torpchenko. Maybe Neighbors can do that. I believe the, the guy that makes sense for Thomas and Cairo is going to be Snuggerud. But you're three to four years away from that. So to expedite that process, let Snuggerud slow play this in. Go get a guy like that. Coming up next, we'll hit the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. the junk drawer tebow what do you got for us today my man you guys know what a 3d printer is right yes no i'm just making sure oh, okay you know guys are kind of old sometimes this new technology gets past you honestly touche uh, i found gray hair so i i've been fascinated by because i've been watching stuff on like behind the scenes of making shows and how they use these 3d printers to help build these sets and then i see an article in which we're trying to get 3d printers to now be printing out food and i don't know if i'm here for it what up I, it just feels weird. It just like you don't want to eat plastic shaped as food. Like T-Bone's it, the guy that like would have for sure eaten the fake fruit that was sitting on the table. No, it's fruit, yeah, man. Like, he ain't eating that. One, you could fall for that. <laughs> oh, that's the fake, true. The fake hot dog that there was sitting on the table. So there there you go. In my I, daughter's uh, kitchen set, I have a hot dog. That would be something T-Bone would eat. Oh, you guys, mini corn dogs in the house. T Bone is probably watching the show. Is that cake? And he's like, "No way, that one's cake. I would definitely eat that." And then it, once again, BK cake. brings up a show that only he is in. I actually hate the idea. I hate the concept. <laughs> Everything about it, it's it's the worst. All but. right, T Bone, tell us why you hate uh, fake food. Well, it just it it almost feels like it has to be like made. I, I one, I don't understand how it's truly made. I've read like three articles on this and still don't understand. And, and two, it just feels so like scientifically advanced like it's almost like it feels like they're just like making it out of powder to me so i'm out i mean essentially I, it is it's made out of like plastic and rubber yeah i'm out i'm out i, I don't Makes want that. sense I, i'm not here you don't want to eat fake food yeah exactly i thought bk might be into this because like he's like all on this you know healthy food stuff like I don't a, know. a 3D printer? Why would I be healthy? I don't understand how that would apply to me whatsoever. Because you know, you got you like your vegan burgers. I I look it's at a this 3D printer, man. I'm, it's not like I, I, actual food. I, I, I know. If you so eat something made out of a 3D printer, would probably healthy. kill you. It's got to be healthy. That would for be you. like me eating this uh, plastic bottle. You should try it. It feels unlikely. <laughs> don't think that would go well. Prove it. Stuff in my Adam's apple. If it was well, 3D no, that's printed, impossible. That thing could gulp down a gator. I don't know, man. I just don't understand how this all works. Sorry, man. You didn't need that before you went on vacation, so I apologize. I got my new glasses the other day, guys. The ones that fit the petite-sized head. <laughs> I forgot about that. What sticks out more, your glasses or your Adam's apple? They're tiny. <laughs> like, they, I, I like first of all, put tiny? them on, couldn't have fit any better. Second of all, I took them off, and I was like, these are not adult-sized glasses. 
I, I have never been so ashamed in my entire life. For those of you that don't remember or weren't listening at the time, uh, I went to... BK's got a petite head. Yeah. But I went to the eye doctor, and after I got my new exam, they said, hey, you need you probably need a new prescription. Get yourself some new lenses, blah, 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 whatever. Get it taken care of. And the lady at the front desk immediately looks at me and says, okay, let's go to the petite section. I said, excuse me, ma'am? She said, well, well, we'll look at these petite section glasses uh, because you have a, it was left unsaid, but it was basically, you have a very small head and therefore we need to be shopping in this very specific area. Guys, there was like four options. It was like, would you like the black, the gray, or the brown option here? It's like, ah, oh, black, please. And so yesterday I got them and they fit perfectly, by the way. It's all right, buddy. Everybody's got uh, petite issues and you find a way to overcome it. Coming up next, we'll continue our countdown of the 20 most important players in the 2023 season. We do so with a guy who I thought was really important at the beginning of the season. And I think his importance has taken on an even or is even more now than it was at the beginning of the offseason. We'll tell you who that is next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. season on PK and Ferrario. Number four, Wilson Contreras. That's drilled, left field, down the line, God! His ninth, and Contreras scoops one out of here into the basket, 2-0. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. I'm so excited to talk about Wilson Contreras. I jumped the gun a little bit there. Wilson Contreras is indeed the fourth most important Cardinal heading into the 2023 season. Myself and Alex Ferrario both had him at number five on our list. T-Bone upped him just a little bit. He had him at number four on his as well. And that is where he lands for the Cardinals heading in to the upcoming season. Guys, Wilson Contreras is one hell of a hitter. There's nothing you haven't heard before, but the reason the Cardinals got him more about his bat than it is what he does behind the plate. Over the last four seasons, it's a total of 400 games, 1,500 plate appearances. He's a 250 hitter, which might not stand out to you, but what is super impressive is both the on-base skills and the slugging skills. He's had a 350 on-base percentage over the last four seasons in total. It's a 10% walk rate, which is really good. That's what you want from basically everybody on your team if you can get it. And his slugging percentage in that t- time is about 470. So about 20% above league average offensively over that stretch of games. Alex, what do you think is the best case scenario in the upcoming season for one Wilson Contreras? He consistently is a one, two, three punch with Goldie and Arenado. And I mean, I would solidify him and just put him in the number five spot all season long. And he doesn't move because that's best case scenario for Wilson Contreras. I mean, his best season with the Chicago Cubs was 272 batting average, 355 on base percentage and 888 slug, or I'm sorry, with an OPS with 24 home runs. 
I think he could be better than that with this Cardinals team, especially with the guys he's going to be hitting around. I do look at him as somebody who could hit you 25 home runs this season. So best case scenario for me is um, not an MV3 like they had in the past, but as close to it as you can ask for. Yeah, I think the best case for me is he's going to be that guy that they were desperately missing in the first half of last year and really all season long because they started hitting pools in the two hole near the end of the year. I I think the best case scenario is he's in that five spot and he's able to drive in Goldie and Arnado who are going to be on base a lot. And that was the issue they had last year. I mean, you look at their RBIs and look, I'm not saying this is some advanced stat. This is pretty standard, but when you have 103 with Arnado being second on the team and then third is at 68 and Albert, that's a massive drop off and they need to close that gap. That was about 35 RBIs difference last year. Contreras should be able to close that gap and hopefully bring in Goldie and Arnado because the the thing that they had working so well last year was you would get Donovan on base, Goldie or Arnado bring him in, but the problem was then they would be stranded on base. What if this offense is going to be top 5 in baseball, Contreras will be the reason for it. To put in context, the consistency of Wilson Contreras as a hitter Over the last four seasons, his OPS plus is about 20% above league average. Here's what Cardinals hitters have done over the last four seasons in terms of their above average, right? Paul Goldschmidt, 44% above league average. Nolan Arenado, 32% above league average. And then there is that gap that Tanner was just referencing. Tyler O'Neill, 15% above league average. Another drop. Marcelo Zuna, 10% above league average here while he was with the Cardinals. And then it basically becomes a bunch of league average hitters. Colton Wong, Dylan Carlson, Dexter Fowler, Tommy Edmond, Harrison Bader, Paul DeYoung, Matt Carpenter, they're all right in this a a little bit above, a little bit below league average offensively in this four-year stretch. Again, Wilson Contreras was 20% above league average. He was right above Tyler O'Neill in this stretch, right below Nolan Arenado. This is a guy that you can trust consistently to produce for you offensively. Now, about him as a catcher, and this is where I do find it to be really interesting on Okay, what are you getting out of him? Is he a 60% catcher? Is he a 70% catcher? How many games can you reasonably expect to get out of Wilson Contreras behind the plate? Last year, this was one of the reasons why teams did not trade for him at the deadline. He only started 72 games as a catcher for the Chicago Cubs. The year before that, though, 115. The year before that, in a 60-game schedule, it was 40. So he has had years in his career very recently where he was a 60 to 70% catcher, where he was starting behind the plate almost every single day. What are you anticipating, uh, Alex T-Bone, when it comes to how often we will actually see Wilson Contreras as the starter behind the plate? Depending on who the backup catcher is and how they perform with the opportunity, I would say in a best-case scenario for Wilson Contreras is you're catching four days out of the week and DH and the other three. But if the backup catcher is a liability offensively or if he's not up to the par you need him to be probably five a week and two as a dh for wilson Contreras. To make it more simple in terms of the math i think if you're playing a three-game series wilson Contreras gets two of them yeah that's absolutely. the way that i would approach it. yeah and i believe that's the way to do it because you're going to see i believe the most games played in a season for Wilson Contreras since 2018 when he had 138, probably closer to that number because you're going to get more opportunities for him to be the DH. That's why you brought him in to be the catcher. But when he's not, he's going to be hitting for you because he's going to be playing so many games in that five-hole spot. I think it's going to be similar to what he did in 2021. He had 115 starts that year behind the plate as a catcher. 
I think you should expect something similar to that from him in this year. And frankly, I think the Cardinals need it but to it, be something like that. That is where I mentioned before the break that the, I think his importance has actually increased since the start of spring training. I thought you would be getting more out of Andrew Kisner. I thought you would be trusting Andrew Kisner more than you're going to. I don't feel great about the Cardinals starting somebody else behind the plate for more than 40 or 50 games this year. You need Wilson Contreras to be back there as often as humanly possible. Yeah, I I, I think 110 to 120 is where it's going to ultimately end up being. And if you have to do more than that, then you need to be looking for a backup catcher, whether it be at the trade deadline, like we've seen teams do in the past. Look at the Astros, for example, acquiring Christian Vasquez. There's always somebody that can be out there at the deadline to do that or in the next offseason looking for that because he probably should just be held to 110 to 120. It's easier on his body and being able to DH than more often. I mean, the reason the number was solo last year was he dealt with an ankle issue and the Cubs had to basically pull him out of that catcher role and become just an everyday DH. Cardinals can't have that happen. They need him to be the catcher, and he's going to be the guy that's going to probably be best in controlling the run game over Kisner and Barrera, whoever ends up getting that role. So 110 to 120 is probably the sweet spot where you want him, and if you have to extend past that, that means you've got a hole on your roster that they may need to fill. The other thing that could do is it could end up limiting what he's giving you at the plate. So it is a very fine line of needing him to start behind the plate because of what he gives you defensively back there, what he gives you as a game caller back there, but also needing his production at the plate and needing to keep some of these other guys fresh as well. It's it's a tough spot for Ollie Marmol. I, I yeah. I, Coming up next. <laughs> I was just trying to think. What of, happened? No, I was trying to think of something else to say with that, but I, I mean, I really can't deny that because that's what it's going to be for Wilson Contreras. Coming up next, what does this opportunity mean for Jake Woodford? How much does it play into his future here in St. Louis? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The way that Jake has thrown the ball, he is firmly on this team right now. I don't see how you couldn't unless you just really wanted to utilize him as insurance at AAA to start. But it's been nine innings for him so far in spring training. He's only given up one run. And he's looked great, man. He's done everything that he can to be a part of this staff. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. And I'm Brandon Kylie. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Can You Beat the Blues? Each week we play the game right around 1.30 on a Thursday. The contestants this week are Colton Pareko and Jordan Bennington. Our, our listeners this week will be competing for a David Perron signed hockey puck and a pair of tickets to go out and watch the Blues. So David Perron signed hockey puck, a big one this week. If you are textured number 55, 56, 50 or 51, those four, 50, 51, 55, 56, text in, I can beat the Blues. You will be potentially in play to go up against Colton Pareko and Jordan Bennington in can you in a game of can you beat the Blues? All right. <laughs> Guys, that audio you just heard was Brad Thompson a few weeks ago talking about what he's seen from Jake Woodford and what we can reasonably expect out of him uh, this season with the St. Louis Cardinals. What does this opportunity mean for him for him now? At that point, he was expected to be a part of the Cardinals bullpen. Now he's going to be a part of the rotation, or at least that's the anticipation from all of us. He'll be replacing Adam Wainwright while Waino is down with the groin strain. For me, Alex, I'll present this to you. I'm curious your thoughts on it. I think Woodford is fighting for an opportunity to be a locked-in starter in 2024. Because right now, the way that you look at it, man, this rotation is wide open next year. 
you know you're going to be able to bring back Steven Matz. And other than that, it's a big shrug emoji for the most part. It's like, I, I don't know who else is going to be a part of this rotation. Flaherty, real questions with him. Montgomery, uh, no extension in place. Michaelis, no extension in place. Uh, Wayno expected to retire at the end of the season. Just one of the five that is expected to be back as of today. Maybe Jake Woodford can notch his name as part of that. I don't think he's going to be expected to be more than a number five starter. But a number five starter is valuable, especially with how cheap he is right now under contract. Yeah, I mean, this is a huge opportunity for him. And I was trying to think of the last Cardinal pitcher who didn't look like he was going to get an opportunity and then finally got one and ran with it and was a staple for that rotation. And I'm sure there's somebody that I'm forgetting our text line is going to be able to help. But you got two different paths. You could do the one that you just presented, BK, or for Jake Woodford, you go the route of Dakota Hudson. And look, he outplayed Dakota Hudson this season. He outpitched him in every aspect that you needed in spring training, and he deserves this rotation spot. And that's the two paths that you can go. Does it fall off as soon as the regular season starts and you're going up against everyday lineups in Major League Baseball? Or do you live up to the hype that you presented in spring training? And do you become that fifth man in the in the rotation? And then maybe you get pushed back to the bullpen when Wayno returns, but you look at it as you got this opportunity next year. I'm just still skeptical with it with Jake Woodford. And I know he's tearing it up this uh, this spring training, but... He did that last spring training, and he did that the previous spring training. Two straight spring trainings, 21 and 22, he was the same way where it was like, man, this guy's getting outs, he's getting strikeouts. Not so much last season, but 21, I remember, he was getting a lot of strikeouts, and you're thinking, boy, this guy deserves an opportunity in, in on the major league team. And when he got it, it didn't live up to the expectations. 21 was okay, last year wasn't, and that's where I'm skeptical with Jake Woodford. Yeah, I, I think he has a chance to, as BK said, to kind of lock himself into being a guy that's definitely going to be considered for the rotation in 2024. I I buy the changes that we've seen, and, and Ollie's raved about his slider, and that was the big difference last year was on the just looking at his baseball card, you could see the numbers were good, and then they would send him down, and you go, well, why is that? because they weren't seeing anything from his slider. It just felt like a pitch that was spinning with no movement on it and wasn't getting any swing and miss. He's made that change. So I, I think you're going to see the improvements from Jake Woodford, but this is kind of his last gasp opportunity if he wants to be a starter in the big leagues because if he does kind of flame out here and he just ends up being okay, and, and, and even if he's good or bad, he's probably gonna be, he will be replaced by Wayno in the rotation when he gets healthy and comes back. I, I think if it, he flames out here, though, and fails – his best role as a major leaguer is just going to be a journeyman, a guy that could be a long reliever in a bullpen, or it could be a guy that's stepped in the minor leagues, and he'll just continue to bounce around in the major leagues, kind of like the name that uh, BK brought up in the office, Tyler Lyons. Lyons yeah. served that role, had a chance to start, didn't really pan out, and then he just became a journeyman and bounced around the major I leagues and in the what, minor leagues. I think that's what Dakota Hudson's about to be. This is this is the this is the crossroads for Jake Woodford to where okay, this is your opportunity. You've done a really good job in spring training, but we have seen it before. Can you continue to live up to this hype and continue this into the regular season? He looked really good when they faced the Yankees, I think it was a week, two weeks ago, and they had most of the regulars in there. Can that carry over? I think it will, but if not, he's just going to be a guy that's going to become a journeyman major leaguer. I think what we tend to do is we overestimate the quality of the back-end starters and other teams' rotations because we are so hyper-focused on our own. And so when I say, like, hey – Jake Woodford, future number five starter for the Cardinals. I think there's probably some moaning and groaning among Cardinals fans. And some some of it I understand. Alex, you you mentioned kind of the downside of of Jake Woodford. But the reason why I don't think it's necessarily an inherently bad thing is because I'm looking right now at some of the other number five starters for legitimate contenders around the National League specifically. 
you look at the Padres, and this is according to Fangraphs. What, or, excuse me, the uh, the Phillies. This is according to Fangraphs, what they have currently projected for the back end of their rotation. Everybody loves Nolan Wheeler. That's awesome. But they just were dealt another injury today to their rotation. It sounds like Ranger Suarez is going to be out for the foreseeable future. Taiwan Walker was expected to be the number four starter. Now he's bumping up to number three. They've got Bailey Falter as their number four starter now. And a gentleman by the name of Michael Plasmeyer is now expected to be their number uh, number five starter. Now, if you're not familiar with Plasmeyer's work, it's for good reason. He's thrown all of seven innings in the big league so far in his major league career and down in the minor leagues. If you're wondering, hey, how does he project to the next level? Well, the projection systems have him as like a five ERA. It's a Mizzou guy, isn't season. it, Plasmeyer? Uh he is, I don't know, to be totally honest with you. I'm not familiar with his work, so I don't know. Um, on the Mets, if you're looking at the back end of their rotation, their number five starter right now is projected to be David Peterson. He's fine. There's nothing good, bad, indifferent about him. He's fine. He was a 3.8 ERA last year and 105 innings, uh, was a decent pitcher for them. You look at what the Dodgers have to offer right now. Dustin May, really talented, but you have no idea what he's going to offer in terms of his consistency and then they've got a guy that last year threw 36 innings in the big leagues that's going to be their number five starter for them you look at what the Padres have Seth Lugo is currently projected to be their number five starter it's just not a whole lot to get super excited about among these major league teams so if you have somebody that can get the job done can give you like a sub four ERA with it and is able to do it at a super cheap price, man, Jake Woodford could be quite the asset for the St. Louis Cardinals. I mean, you lived with John Gant as the fifth man in your rotation for a few months there, and I mean, Harry Houdini himself was able to at least compete for you, so yeah, Jake Woodford can absolutely do that. I think the concern with it is just what we saw with Jake Woodford last season, where you just you weren't getting the length out of him, and you weren't really getting much swing and miss out of him. And I know he switched that in spring training, but again, the regular season's different, and that's where I think it comes down to that because, once again, just like with Adam Wainwright, if you're not giving innings, you're taxing your bullpen, which I'm not sure you can handle that for a full season if there are now two guys that you're relying on for your rotation that aren't able to make it through. To that point, though, I I never tr- I understood why the Cardinals sent him down, but I didn't... I- I would have rather seen him up at the big leagues last year because he was pitching efficiently. He was he had a low ERA out of the bullpen. I don't know even if his swing and miss does deteriorate here and he as a starter, which I again I don't think it will, but say it does, I, I don't think that's a necessarily a bad thing. I, I don't think that should be held against Jake Woodford because look at the rest of the rotation. As a number five, he does not necessarily need swing and miss stuff. If he has like swing and miss stuff like Miles Michaelis, for example, okay, I think that's fine. As long as Jake Woodford is giving you four or not four five to six solid innings and has around that four era mark then he's doing a great job because that's kind of what i would expect from adam wainwright with even less swing and miss stuff at this point in his career so if he can just be a guy that's out there giving you an efficient five innings and he doesn't become a liability like dakota hudson became last year where it was like man we're lucky to get through three innings and we've already got to turn to the bullpen as long as he avoids that, then he will be the perfect number five starter for the Cardinals when they break camp. And that's my concern because you only got that once last year. And I don't remember how many games he started for them last season, but you only got that once out of him. And I don't know if you can rely on that for the long for the long stretch. Woodford? Yeah. In, in terms of for this season? Five or more innings. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know how often you really need it out of him. Like I, I think your number five starter is... You hope to get five out of him, and if he's pretty efficient in doing so, you feel great about it. 
Um, John Gant very rarely went more than five innings. And we were complaining about it every we time he started. about the walks. We were complaining about him not being a guy that was sustainable. As long as if you get Woodford to go out there and give you five consistent innings regularly and he's not walking the world and he's not giving up a ton of contact, like he does have a little bit more of the swing and miss stuff, I'm fine with that. I think we always have over or unreasonable expectations for what a number five starter is actually going to be, what the purpose is of that role. You need a guy that can buy you innings throughout the course of the season. Hell, a lot of teams are just patching this thing together, man. Look at what the Rays do every year. They use openers as their number five starter more often than not in certain seasons, and they're just building their rotation around that top three. The Brewers have done this in the past. Think about some of the guys that they've thrown out there as their number five starters. It's not a super impressive list of guys, and yet we look at their rotation and say, oh, that's a really good rotation. And the reason why is because it's built up by the top three that are in their rotation. That's what the Cardinals' real questions are. Like, if Jake Woodford ends up not pitching as well as maybe T-Bone and I are expecting this season, that's not going to kill the Cardinals. What will kill them, though, is if they don't end up getting the performances that we're currently hoping for out of Michaelis, Flaherty, Mats, Montgomery. Those guys not being able to give you consistently 5-plus is way more concerning than Jake Woodford potentially not getting to 5. Yeah, say he has to make 10 starts. And he ends up doing what he's done in his ten starts in his career. In ten start, he's made ten starts in his big league career. Three and three, forty-five and a third innings pitched, three point seven seven ERA. Now his strikeout per nine is low, but let's say it bumps up to like seven or eight strikeouts per nine. I, that's that's really good for him as a serviceable kind of fifth starter until Adam Wainwright's back. Like that would be perfect. And I'm just going off of what he's done in his first ten starts as a big leaguer. I think the other thing, and to look kind of big picture at what Woodford can be, what he is for the Cardinals. Like, first of all, he's expected to start for a month, and then he's hopefully going to be back into the bullpen, and you don't have to worry about it anymore. But long term, if he's great this month, ends up being a starter that you think, hey, maybe this is something that he can build around. You look at what their rotation is in future seasons, it does open up some flexibility for you, both in terms of the trade options and also payroll flexibility. Because now you're talking about probably one of Libertor or Graceffo opening camp with them next year. You've got Matt's coming back. You potentially have Woodford in that mix. I would assume this time next year, McGreevy is probably in a similar spot to where Libertor is right now, which is like a late camp cut that you could potentially lean on as like a sixth starter throughout the regular season. I think that's the hope for this time next year with Michael McGreevy. And then you eventually have Tim Kent potentially waiting in the wings as well. Now what you're looking for is a number one and a number two. Maybe one of those spots is already on the roster with one of the guys getting an extension. And then you go to the market and you're able to now have rookie contract, rookie contract, rookie contract, rookie contract, Steven Matz. Now you've got money to be able to spend on whoever that number one starter is that you want to bring in going into this offseason. Shohei Otani. I would love it. Coming up next, we'll play a game of Can You Beat the Blues here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Do you have what it takes to beat the Blues? Now's your chance. Can you beat the Blues? Presented by Two Men in a Spa Dolly. Great deals on in-stock hot tubs and swim spas. Alex Ferrario 
Allen, Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It is time for our weekly segment called Can You Beat the Blues? It is a very simple game. Basically, we will give you a category. You name as many things within that category as you can in 15 seconds. You will then go up against one of the Blues players. Today, you've got two players that are contending. Colton Pareko and Jordan Bennington will have two games each. We have four callers on the line. David, Donna, Derek, and Assume. Uh, excuse me. Awesome. Apologize. I think that I'm pronouncing that correct. I apologize for the mince pronunciation a moment ago. They will be going up against Pareko and Bennington. The one that gets the best margin for their answers will end up winning a David Perron signed hockey puck and a pair of tickets to the March 28th Blues game against the Vancouver Canucks. Now that we are all set, let's go out to the hotline to hear from David. David, do you understand the rules of the game today? Yes, I do. How you feeling? Are you confident going up against Colton Pareko? That's going to be who you're up against. Are you confident? Yeah, I'm pretty confident. Just depends on the category. All right, David. Here's what we've got for you today. I'm just glad he didn't say I could be Pareko. Everyone else does in the <laughs> NHL. Thanks for that, David. <laughs> he thought it. Dave, I'm going to be honest with you. You're playing at a disadvantage. <laughs> yes, you are. I'm just going to be totally honest and upfront about it. Your category today is things that you would find in Alaska. Things that you would find in Alaska. David, you have 15 seconds. On your mark, get set, go. Uh, Snow, trees, polar bears, ice, roads, buildings, water, people, cats, dogs. (laughs) That is well played. That was amazing. I got 10. I got 10 as well. That was amazing. He said... People, cats, dogs. I liked the water, people, cats, yeah. dogs. And that, buildings. In that order. <laughs> buildings. Okay. That's all I knew. It was well planned. I mean, you sound you like could... you've been to Alaska before, David. <laughs> or anywhere. That's, yeah, that's pretty much everywhere. Or down the street in St. Louis. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fine. He's been on Washington Ave. Uh, <laughs> all right, David, you got 10. Let's find out how many things Colton Pareko can name that he would see in Alaska. He did play some hockey. Played, in went Alaska, to college there. So. Up in Alaska. So here's Colton Pareko. Northern Lights, Grizzly Bears, Polar Bears, uh, University of Alaska, Fairbanks, University of Alaska, uh, Anchorage, uh, Denali, uh, you got moose, I think I might have even said moose already, uh, you got ducks, you got grouse, you got ptarmigan. He got ten! He rattled off three in like two seconds. That was well played. So we have a tie in the first round. David, stay on the line just in case nobody else ends up beating Colton Pareko or Jordan Bennington in such a scenario. You would indeed be our winner. David is currently the leader in the the clubhouse at an even zero. That's what a top defenseman looks like right there. Finding a way to win it at the end. I just learned there's polar bears in Alaska. What? Didn't know. Really? Yeah, Are you serious? Do you, do you know where Alaska is located on a map? Yes, I know you where it's at. I have a map. You. But it Dude, doesn't you show watch, polar bears are you there. You watch PBS documentaries like every single night. I thought they were only in the night. Antarctic. You've never caught... Oh. Do you know where Alaska is? You, <laughs> it's not the you Antarctic. You know there's a polar bear it's, it's at the place. St. Louis Zoo, right? Yeah, well, they they grabbed him and took care of him. Like, it's fine. From Tanner, the Antarctic. did you know there is an Arctic and then an Antarctic. Hey, it's not like I just said I learned there's roads up there. No, he okay? doesn't have a globe. He's got a map, <laughs> and that's not on there. All right, uh, let's get to our second contestant. It is Donna that is on the line right now. Donna, you are also going to be going up against Colton Pareko today. Thank you so much for hopping on with us. Do you understand the rules of the game? Yes, sir. All right, All right Donna, Donna. Your category today, things that you would find in a kitchen that is Colton Pareko's category. That is also your category. Things you would find in a kitchen. You have 15 seconds. On your mark, get set, go. 
stove, dishwasher, refrigerator, spices, cabinets, table, chairs, uh, chandelier, can opener, microwave, radio, blender. All right. All right. Donna with 12. Do you have a chandelier in your kitchen? No, I don't even have a radio no. in my kitchen. That's impressive, <laughs> Donna. Said, no, I absolutely Donna, do you not. said radio in the kitchen, and I'm thinking, ah, oh, Donna's listening to us while she's cooking in the kitchen, I, I respect that. Yeah. I think everybody should have a radio somewhere in their absolutely. kitchen for us to be a part of your meals, the meal prep, whatever it Always love getting to, to be in your kitchen. Absolutely. Do you have a chandelier in your house? I feel like T-Bone put have, in a chandelier in his apartment. I have a hanging light that's got four light bulbs on it. Is that considered a chandelier? Absolutely. I think that works. I hit my head on it a lot, so I would say that it is. That works. That, that sounds about right. I definitely do not. Our ceilings are far too low to be able to have a well, chandelier. Ours kind of are too. I don't know why that chandelier's there. All right, let's hear what Colton Pareko can name. Is he a cooker? Is he good at getting into the kitchen? How many things can he name that he would find in the kitchen? Dishwashers, trash cans, uh, you got the freezer fridge, you got the utensils, you got plates, bowls, uh, Tupperware probably, uh, maybe a wooden spoon, uh, a spatula, you got pots and pans. You got 12. I got 12 as well. Oh Did you my count? gosh. He said two. Th- he said fridge and freezer. freezer. I counted count both that of them. Two, right? I yeah. would say yes. I counted okay. both of them. He said it basically as if it was the same thing, so I just wanted to make sure that we were all on the same page. So that is, again, another even between the two of them. <laughs> Yikes. So, Donna, please stay on the line as well. We'll see if anybody else is able to beat their Blues opponents. Derek is now on the line. Derek, you're going up against Jordan Bennington today. Save all of your jokes. Do you understand the rules of the game, and are you prepared to go up against Benner? Yes. All right, Derek, all right, your Derek. category today. You're excited. I can feel it. Your category is board games. Name as many board games as you can in 15 seconds on your mark. Get set, go. Monopoly, uh, Game of Life, Operation, Clue, Sorry, uh, Connect Four, Hi Ho Cherio, Don't Break the Ice. Uh, gosh. Um, Derek, you already won in my book. You yeah. said hi-ho, Cheerios. That's phenomenal board game. <laughs> Can I ask follow-up? What? I'm not trying to make Derek lose here, but I am asking follow-up questions. What? I think we need we need to go to the judge. I will ask you guys for your final call on this. Is Operation a board game? Absolutely, yeah. it's a board game. What would you call it? Yeah. I don't know that I would consider Operation to be a board game. Are you sure? Yeah, it's an electronic board game. Okay. It's, it's a on, board it's that it's on. on a board. Connect four. Does that count yeah. as a board game? I say yes. That one I wouldn't consider a board game. I do game. not what consider. Are you about? It's not a board. It's a freaking like chart. Uh, I I am standing up for Derek. It's Connect a wreck. Four is definitely a board game. Really? Yes. I don't know if I would consider that a I board game. I don't know that I Did would. Did you Google is Connect Four a board game? Well, guys, I lost how many he had. What do you have? Eight? Uh, is that what we're challenging? I had, I had eight. I had okay. Eight. I, I'm saying Connect it says Four is a, a board game. classic grid board game. Yeah, so I, that's what? A board game. If Google calls it a board game, then we're going to give it to them a board game. Interesting. Okay. All right. Uh, that's Somebody said that it's on a board. In it's what not... world is Connect Four played on a board? Now, if he would have said Yahtzee, then I probably would have argued that. That's a board game, too. I don't think it is, because usually you just got the can with the dice and you got you the two Yahtzee's a board game? Yes. Really? What, what would you board call do you trivia? play Yahtzee on? You roll it into the box. Therefore, it becomes the board. No. 
Yeah, a board game is any game that is played on a board, especially one that involves the movement of pieces on the board. Yeah, well, that's so not connect for checkers. And but you know Yahtzee. what? I'm feeling grateful today, so I say give it to Derek. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll give it to him. We're giving him everything. All of these that he I said. I hope Derek they, wins because you guys are ripping from the him five, off. Seven, three. Man, BK hates listeners. Yeah, no kidding. Hey, it's I, not a board. Because, like, operation, fair. Totally with you guys. That works. Connect, Connect Four, four is, not is absolutely not a board game. Dude, but we'll li- give it to him. We'll give it to it's him. Literally a standing up thing. Somebody said Twister is the best board game ever. Uh, exactly. Again, that does not qualify. Board game. In what world are you playing Twister on a board? That's a that, sheet. It's game. a sheet the that sheet you put over the ground. Is the board? No. It's literally not a board. You said a different word. You old guys stink. It's like saying, <laughs> oh jeez. All right, Derek, we're giving it to you because we we appreciate Derek you. So you got eight. eight. Derek, you've got eight. Let's see if Jordan Bennington likes playing board games. Uh, sorry. Guess who? Uh, this isn't going well. Chess? Is that a board game? Okay. Uh, well, um, I got three. Good God, man. Yeah. That that was three. man. It didn't start off well when he said, "Uh, sorry." All right, Derek. Can I even ask if, the question that everybody else is asking? Oh, now what are you asking about? Guess who a board game? Yes, it's a board game. That is a board game, dude. It's on a board. I always think of board games as like you're moving the pieces. Uh, well, you're moving pieces yeah. on guess who? You click them down. I mean, technically, you're moving pieces and connect four also, but yeah. man. You are kind of a jerk right now with all of these. Guess who is not a board game? Guess who is a board game? No. BK would be the guy at a party where they're like, let's play a board game. They bring out Twitch. That's not a board game. <laughs> I don't play that because it's, it's not a, a board game. Kill. It's a Guess who is considered a two-player right, board game. Is out. I'm sorry. I will apologize to all of you guys for being wrong about right. the Man, board Alex, game. Alex, the rest of the segment. Man, imagine if we would have taken it away from Derek and taken it away from Bennington and it'd be a plus four and then somebody got a plus five. BK would be brutalized. All right. Somebody said, I feel sorry for who, what BK played as a kid. No, son, you can't play the game because it's not a board game. <laughs> my, my, my child will learn to play a lot of games. Unfortunately, my wife and I are both highly competitive, so I don't know how much winning he'll be doing in those games, at least early on. He, he'll, learn, he'll learn some lessons. There's hey. no participation trophies in this household. Hey, I could teach you how to cheat at Candyland. Can you? Yeah. Great at it. Okay. All right, awesome. You are the next one up on in our game of Can You Beat the Blues? You will be going up against Jordan Bennington as well. Awesome. Do you understand the rules of the game? Yes, sir. All right. You will be going up against Jordan Bennington, and your category and his category is name as many actors or actresses as you can in 15 seconds. Actors or actresses in 15 seconds. On your mark, get set, go. Johnny Depp, uh, Keanu Reeves, um... Tom Hanks, um, Benicio Del Toro, Brad Pitt. Um, uh, oh. You got five. Sorry. Five. Don't apologize, Awesome, It was great. You did a great job. You got right. Benicio Del Toro. Might have saved you two seconds if you stick with, like, you know, more Brad Pitts, but... I did find it interesting that that was like the fourth one he came up with. Yeah, well, maybe he's a big Benicio del Toro fan. I would have said Brendan Fraser, and I don't know how deep people did would have seen gotten his new in. movie. No, I haven't. Uh, I've heard great things. That is one that is on our list. I like the Mummy. Great movie. Like twenty movie. years since that guy was in anything, and then it's like boom, Oscar. No, Brendan. 
What? I hate Let's you. see what Bennington's got for I, actor and actresses. First of all, well played. Second of all, I hate you. And I also hate that Tanner didn't know what you did there. I didn't. Yeah, I have no idea what just happened. <laughs> Up top. Dead joke. All right. So uh, Awesome got five. Five? Yeah. You got five as well? Yeah, I had five. All right. Jordan Bennington, how many actors or actresses can you name in 15 seconds? Scarlett Johansson, Jennifer Lawrence, Jennifer Aniston, um, Ben Affleck, Brad Pitt, Hank Moody, um, Beyonce. Ooh, uh, we're not going to give a Beyonce because it was after the siren went off. So he got six. I have a question. Isn't oh, Bennington's fiance an actress? Yeah, that's why we. He uh, didn't. He didn't name her though. <laughs> that, that is that a good is a point. Great I point. thought Bennington was going to have an advantage by having one, and he didn't use it. That is a great point. Again, uh, somebody texted and said the whale is what Ferrario's face looked like when he was the elephant man. That's mean. Ryder, did you text that in? <laughs> that is a jerk move, man. I was unprepared. I was for too for that. In five seven three, it was only one side of my face. I love that one of the he he named six mm-hmm. actors and actresses and Hank Moody was one of them. I love that he started with <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence, Jennifer is. Aniston, Jennifer Lopez, <laughs> and then Ben Affleck. I respect it. All right, uh, so we have so Derek's Derek our winner. is Derek. our winner. Derek, congratulations, Derek. man! I knew I could feel the excitement and anticipation <laughs> in your voice the moment that you came on the line. You're our winner today. Congratulations! You can indeed beat the Blues. Cool. Thank you. There Absolutely. we go, Derek. You're going home with a David Perron signed hockey puck and a pair of tickets to the big time showdown between the Canucks and the St. Louis Blues. Man, there is real draft position that is on the line in that one. So excited for you to be able to go see that. Root for the Canucks that night, Derek. Tanner hung up on him. No, no, of course he did. No, did Derek just I, had I, no I, response. No, 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 I put him on hold. I thought no, we were ready to get Derek just had no Derek response. Derek didn't want to talk to I, us yeah, anymore. Yeah, he Tanner. probably wouldn't talk to BK. BK's out here like, well, you're not I, naming board games. That's true. I mean, you tried to rob that man of that victory. Unbelievable. Somebody said, I'm glad BK was willing to accept all of those as actors and actresses. <laughs> true. Are we sure that Hank Moody's an actor? If we got it in in time, I would have second-guessed the Beyonce one. For Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll hit the rewind next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. They'll have you taken care of tomorrow from 11 to 2. I'll be out in beautiful Las Vegas. Bright light city, gonna set my soul, gonna set my soul on fire. I'm trying to decide if I think Tanner knows who that is or not. There's absolutely no way he knows who that That's is. Elvis Presley. Because it, it could have gone either way. I before, like when I was doing blues, Be pre and post game stuff. Actually, he did. I do remember that. 
T-Bone had this phase of... Pre- Honestly, we should have known that music was going to be in T-Bone's forte because pre-games he would... Well, no, a very specific type of music. Yeah. Music from that prior Elvis- to the 2000s. No, but didn't you use, like, the New York song? Yeah. The New York... Yeah, he used that on a Frank pre-game, Sinatra too. Sinatra, too. I did yep. that. Yeah, guys, that... Uh, the Alicia Keys, that Elvis one? Presley that, with yeah. the Royal Philharmonic, that album, Chef's Kiss. That is good stuff. Uh, honestly, uh, you could have bet me a thousand dollars. Listen to that on a walk. That he dude. could have referenced an Alicia Keys you album. Will, you will be relaxed by listening to some Elvis while you go on a three mile walk. I could see him picking like Burl Ickle Ivanhoe Ives. If you could go song. to one concert, what would it be? Dead or alive? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> the Wiggles. <laughs> no, I've seen them. Um, <laughs> man, I Sesame Street Live. I would have loved to see like Guns N' Roses in their prime. That makes sense to me. Now, now it's like going to go watch old guys out of their prime, and hopefully they can just stand up the whole show, and it's shorter. I'd I mean, say, it's nostalgia. Like seeing the Who, man. <laughs> I think we're giving away tickets to see that at some point. Who, Guns and Roses? I think I we already know. did. Yeah, we gave away the tickets. So. Yeah. I'd Congratulations Elvis. to all the winners. It'll be a great concert. I'd say I'd like to see Elvis Presley, but, you know, all those screaming girls wouldn't be very fun. Miley Cyrus, obviously. That would be my top choice. Miley Cyrus or Hannah Montana? Both, to, really. In you seem more of a Hannah Montana kind of guy. Maybe, you with your petite glasses. That'd be funny. <laughs> Maybe you want to see Alex. That's Tanner. I'm Brandon. <laughs> uh, uh, next week, we Snoop will be Dog. broadcasting live inside Ballpark <laughs> Village at Budweiser Brewhouse. <laughs> Powering through here, boys. The Cardinals home opener finally right around the corner. will be set up live on opening day at Ballpark Village, March 30th. That's next Thursday. The opening drive will be there. We'll be there. The fast lane will be there. It's all presented by Rawlings, Green Envy Lawn, Lawn Care, and Budweiser. You guys have a fantastic show tomorrow. We'll I'll see you Tuesday. I'll talk to you all on Monday at 11 a.m. right here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.